Yes, ladies and gentlemen, thank you once again for joining us here on INC Live for the UFC 294 preview show. My name is Carl Bainbridge, and I am joined by the man on the right-hand side of my screen. He is the Matthew Pinson to my Steve Redgrave. He's my friend and yours. It's Joe Neal. Joe, thank you very much for joining us again. <laughs> yeah, back to be here again. I'm still, though, don't worry, this weekend, I am still the Bobby Fish to your Kyle O'Reilly because where's the lie? To a deafening silence from the impact zone. Super funny. I, I, I will never not think that's hilarious. Like, don't get me wrong. I still think that Impact is a good show. But mm. there was just no atmosphere whatsoever. Trust me, like, the UFC Apex has a better atmosphere than the TNA <laughs> Impact Zone these days. I, 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 you know, it's crazy to think because I, I thought going to small crowds for, like, the craziest wild crowds you could get was the way to go because of how NXT had it. You know, especially if you want the reactions you're trying to elicit. But I don't know. Maybe NXT was just that crazy lightning in a bottle back in the black and gold era. Yeah. So what you're suggesting is that the Impact Zone get a TNA Valley Towel guy. I'm suggesting they just get Adam Cole. Maybe that was it. <laughs> That's my guy. That's my guy, too. He's probably my he's my current favorite wrestler of like the current wrestlers. He's my favorite ever. Yeah. It's almost as if we've rehearsed all of these lines before, which yeah. we kind of did, didn't we, Joe? So would you like to tell us what happened when we tried recording this beforehand? So we, we shot this for like two hours. We had our laughs. We had our times, including a fabled recording that will, I think I'm going to make live on in infamy of me and Carl laughing for like 15 minutes straight over, <laughs> over a joke I made. And... Um, then Carl's mic wasn't on. <laughs> a two-hour, ten-minute recording, and none of it was usable because you could hear what Joe was saying, but it would cut to me, and there would be nothing, so it was just me talking. And I thought, yeah, well, maybe I could try, like, dumbing it in, but it ended up being like Tommy Wiseau, like, hi, babe. <laughs> <laughs> hey, the doggy. Like, a little... Oh, man. <laughs> I almost made that suggestion, too, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think it would have been really funny, especially if we just didn't tell anybody. <laughs> just just play it straight. Let's see what happens. Maybe I could but, use all of the uh, vocal mixing and the sound like, um, I don't know, like, Happy Grant or something like that. Mm, we can make that a, a Patreon bonus video. We can do. We, we, are, just... looking, we are looking for ideas to uh, try and boost the Patreon side of things. Um, and if yeah. speaking of Patreon, if you do like what you're hearing and seeing over on INC Live and on It's Not Cage Fighting, you can donate to our Patreon page. In return, Joe will cover any event of your wish as part of the Retro Review series. And we do have some big news regarding that series at the end of the show. So please stay tuned to that. The good thing, Joe. Yes? I just thought of this. It's October. And Eldritch Horror is... I have cigarette ash on me. I just caught it in the camera, or at least, I don't know. Anyways, oh, fuzz from my, I know what it's from. But um, we have, uh, it's October, and Eldritch Horror has, like, a lot of people descending into madness. That's what we can do, uh, that's what we can frame it as. Joe descends into madness by talking to no one <laughs> for, for two hours. I actually once did a four-hour sports show for community radio, so it was just me on my own and a microphone, in like a basically a storage cupboard for four hours, hardest thing I've ever done. 
Oh, man. I, I could probably do it for an hour and a half. And then by the end of the hour and a half, I'm like, I got to go. I think I think I haven't I'd be going insane like myself. But four hours. It was hard going. And especially as well, that was Newcastle under the Mike Ashley either. So that made things even worse. <laughs> yeah, everybody told me those were rough times. Very, very. The good thing, <sighs> though, Joe, is that between yesterday when we tried recording for the first time and today... There's been no change in terms of like big MMA news. So we're still able to cover some of the same stories we did first time around. Now, before we get to UFC 294, we want your opinion. And I assume you'll be going into more detail about this when you cover the post-fight reaction. What is your mm -hmm. opinion on the big news that the UFC will no longer be associated with USADA? Uh, I think first off, a congratulations. This is an order. Um, this is Connor's first win <laughs> since like... 2016, right? No, 20, 2020. Donald Cerrone. 19. It was 2020. It was, it was okay. 2020. Donald Cerrone. That was 2019. But yes, Connor's first win in a while. Um, it's scummy. It, it's really scummy. Um, to me because it, it it just rings of of insincerity from the UFC because the uh, because uh, I understand there were some problems with like scheduling you know because they, they'll tell you that they're operating hours right but then they'll show up outside of their operating hours in the middle of the night and just wake fighters up the week they have a fight or during their really hard weight cut which is really hard Every, everyone's seen the instagram videos of like nate and paulo costa having to just sit around <laughs> waiting for this guy to like read their pee <laughs> you know it's it's always awkward and, um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's very telling to me when the, the head of USADA is like, Hey, blah, blah, blah. Um, we, we were, they wanted an exemption for Connor and we were like, no, we're not going to do that. And after that, our, our contract negotiations got unattainable. Um, it just rings of the potential of like a Brock Lesnar situation where they knew Brock Lesnar was roided going into it. Um, Cause I don't think they necessarily care if the sport is clean or not. Like that's kind of a, a conspiracy theory I've had for a while. Jones they just kind of have to. Yeah. Like some of their biggest money makers are, are guys clearly on steroids, John Jones, Brock Lesnar um, and uh, Connor now. So it's like, it, it's it's very damaging, I think, to the uh, the integrity of the UFC. Yeah, I'm in a similar boat to you. Like, I agree with a lot of people that USADA isn't a perfect company. And I have spoken about some of my issues with USADA before. But I, I have three big issues with this. Firstly, optically, I don't think it looks very good for the UFC. I think that... Even though we are, we are big fans of the sport, obviously we do a show which covers the sport in big detail, but there's a lot of people that are still put off by the optics. They see two big muscular-bound men beating each other up in a cage. It's not a good look. And I think that if they see the UFC almost sort of bypassing an anti-drug authority, it's going to sort of embolden their negative opinion of the sport. Two... There were a lot of rumors. I think they have actually announced that they're going to be doing drug-free sport. And I think they work with like the yeah. NBA, NASCAR, that sort of thing. So uh, that sort of alleviates things a bit. But there was a rumor mm -hmm. they were going to do things in-house. And I think that would have been really dangerous because that opens up 
the potential for so much favoritism. Because yeah. you could easily say, let's say, I don't know, like Connor versus Chandler. You make Michael Chandler jump through every single loop loophole, every single vein to try and get past their drug testing. And Connor's able to ride and do whatever he wants. But also as well, a big reason for the UFC making this move is for Conor McGregor. And you're going to be getting, what, two or three fights out of him? It seems very short-term. Like, can you see Conor continuing if he gets steamrolled by Chandler in the first round? Which is a realistic possibility. So you've made this massive move. I think we got one fight from him. But one fight. Yeah. It's, you know... I haven't thought about it since yesterday, since we talked about it the first time. And it's still just like, oh man, like it's such a, such a cluster F, you know, it's a, it's a poop show. You yeah. Know? It got even just worse as well because the new czar, the new guy that they're getting in, um, in drug testing, it, he trains at ATT. So a lot of people are already saying, hang on a minute, is he going to let all the ATT boys do whatever they want? And everyone else has to deal with much stricter boundaries Vitor Belfort just joined American top team <laughs> you know I think Overeem's like, over there as well uh, I th- that would make sense to me but he looks like once he got off the horse meat diet he looks like he did in, uh, in pride honestly like have you seen pictures of him recently he looks really skinny these days I hope he's healthy. That's what I. That's what I hope for. Yeah. Because I go like it looks like uh, I don't know if anyone's the big Batman fan like I am, but uh, there's the character Bane who takes a substance called Venom. It's like a super yeah. steroid, and he just balloons up. It's like it's like someone turned off the hose, so to speak. For you know, it's like, dude. What, what you mean like in the George Clooney Batman? Yeah. <laughs> Who was that underneath? I mean, my brain always says it's Kevin Nash. Wasn't it, it another was, wrestler? No, it wasn't. It was um, uh, Jeep Swinson. He fought in WCW. Oh. He was part That's of the alliance funny. to end Hulkamania in Sense of 96. I remember that from OSW. <laughs> OSW. A, f- a fantastic show if anyone hasn't seen it. Uh, I think it went 2015's Roydy Magoo of the Year. It looks like it's going to be, uh, oh, what's his name? I like him, too. Um, he's, uh, I know you're on the steroids. I know you're on the juice. Oh, Sanjay Dutt. Sanjay Dutt, yeah. It looks like I, lo- I love Dutt. I think Dutt's brilliant. Yeah. He's, uh, he's a manager in AEW, and he's hilarious. Yeah. No, yeah. I, think that's, I think that's all of our sort of, like, pro wrestling. We'll probably go back to pro wrestling several times during this show because we always do a big geeks uh but people are here to listen to us talk about ufc 294 now there's often a trend that the ufc they almost sort of take a hit but like at the early start of the year sort of midway and sort of like the weeks and months before international fight week but there's always the promise that the back end of the year abu dhabi madison square garden and the december vegas card always make up for it based on what you're seeing so far some of the rumors regarding those two final events of the year and what you see in front of us for this card do you think the ufc are living up to it i i always associate the back half of the year as top heavy sometimes you get some really good quality fights in there some really good quality matchmaking 
but I think the matchmaking's gotten a little worse as years have progressed. Um, and uh, I think another thing too is uh, that if it's the the top heavy route, then I mean, like we can look at this card for example. But uh, I think the only card in recent memory that's like been stellar from top to bottom on the main card with really intriguing fights was um, Moss Vidal Diaz in Madison Square Garden a couple of years back. That's a really that underrated card. I think people remember what happened in the main event and they think mm-hmm. eh, it wasn't really all that great. But I mean, that mm-hmm. had that had like uh, Kevin Lee versus Gregory Gillespie, one of the best knockouts of all time. Derek Lewis did the impossible and got an exciting fight out of Blagoy Ivanov. Uh, Your boy. Versus yeah. Luke no, that, that fight's a classic. Like No one talks about how great that fight is. Um, and then you had I, I even I don't think it's that bad I think it's like it's definitely the okay we can we can slow down and catch our breath kind of fight you know there's always that one fight on a card I feel like that you kind of, as bad as it sounds you you kind of need in terms of pro wrestling again you, you can't have five star every match be a five star you kind of need that fight that match that's like okay like this is your take a breather Randy Orton do 80 rest holds really quick Martin Bashir do 50 rest holds you know, um, and um, that's not his name. I always have you ruined him. But uh, yeah, it's um, what's it called? Uh, like it was Kelvin Gastelum and Darren Till. You know, that's that a good fight. Cool, though. Uh, yeah, I like that fight. Yeah, you know, Cause and the main know, event's fantastic. It just has a bad finish for people. So, because sometimes one of the issues you have is. If you have too many bangers in a row, you exhaust people. Like, I'm mm. actually doing a video, sort of like, which has a link to this um, topic. Jim Burgos versus Billy Quarantillo is a very, very good fight. But that crowd is dead because he had Gagey versus <laughs> Chandler beforehand. Yeah, it's, uh, I know, it was a fight that I didn't realize how good it was until I watched it again down the line. Yeah. Because I was like, oh, it's a good fight, yeah. But I didn't realize how good it was until later. I have to be honest, though, going back to 294, and this is sort of, this is very much my own personal opinion. I think there's going to be a lot of people that disagree, and you're completely entitled to it. I don't really like Abu Dhabi cards. I don't think, like, I know the UFC always go to the same places every year, so there's always going to be, like, the Utah card, Madison Square Garden, they'll do the London show in March. Abu Dhabi's never really been one of my favorites. I don't think the crowds are all that good. And a lot of the fighters that normally appear on these cards, they have fighting styles that don't really sort of cater to my taste as a fan. And hmm. I have to be honest, I'm not as excited about this one as I would be for, say, 295 or 296. Um, do you have any sort of opinions on that? Where do, where do you stand on, like, the, tip, the stereotypical Abu Dhabi card? Uh, when I think Abu Dhabi cards, I think of two things. I think I'm going to see a lot of wrestling and I'm okay with that. Like um, in my mind, there is a huge difference between a Jake Shields or, or in Sean Fitch, which, uh, you know, <laughs> you t- I forgot you reminded me that they fought in WSOF and uh, I, I, I did some research. Classic. Yeah, they, they fought in WSOF and uh, I think it was, if I remember correctly, in 2021 around August – uh, it was a big moment. They finally woke up that crowd. That crowd had fallen asleep that long. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, but uh, 
there's a difference between like those kind of guys to me than there is at like a, a Habib or even Makachev, you know. So uh, typically the Dagestani wrestlers are much more active, much more aggressive when they get top position. Typically, it's not always the case, but um, they can be, you know. Uh, but my big problem with Abu Dhabi cards is the fact that they just like the matchmaking is very one sided. Yes. You know. You, you typically don't put in guys who are going to hurt. Uh, <clears throat> I'm trying to think of how to word it. I, I feel like that's a that's a crowd that is there to see a certain thing happen. They cater to the hometown crowd. Yeah, and so it's like, let's not put in, you know, like, oh, okay, Saeed Namragamadoff, you know, fights on the opening fight. He lost to Jonathan Martinez. Like, you know what we should do? We should give them Corey Sanhagen or uh, Song Yadong. It's like, no, they're not going to do that. <laughs> they're not going to do that. They're going to give him a guy who's 0-1 in the UFC. They're, even though he had a big streak before that, they're going to give uh, like certain people like different fights. Like, um, you know, there's the fights on the prelim where we have Mikhaev and Tim Elliott. Tim Elliott is an awesome fight for him, but Tim Elliott's a little, still a little past it. So I could see the UFC thinking that's a good step for him. And it, it, there's a lot of things like that, and it just kind of irks me a little bit because it kind of caters to my current theory that, you know, the matchmaking's gotten worse, and the only fix for it, I think there's only one fix, um, it's to hire me to do it. Now, hear me out. Sometimes you might have a weird fight, like, you know... Sometimes you'll see, like, what's Taito Ivasa doing fighting Roman Delice? Don't worry about it. But, like, so you're, you're going to, I think, I think I could provide a much better fights for everybody. Is that because Delice took Cheyenne off the market? Yes, he did. Uh, she seems quite annoying, but she is incredibly gorgeous to me. <laughs> she seems like an annoying woman, but just beautiful. He says as he slowly lowers down his trousers. <sighs> no, I'm, hands are up here. Yeah, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say, Joe, it's a good thing that the camera is just cutting you off from the waist because I'd hate to see what's mm -hmm. going on down there. You're doing the in whole fairness, Brian Campbell in, thing. In fairness to me, you're the one that told me to raise it earlier, so true, I was willing to. True. I was. I would say I said make it a Patreon bonus video. We lower it. That's more of <laughs> only fans. Yeah, there you go. Oh, that's our new venue, dude. Yeah. Listen, if, if Diego Sanchez can make money on there, so can we. Well, most of Diego's videos were just him batting a balloon around. Yeah, and it was Joshua Fabia, and a court, I, I don't know this, but apparently, uh, according to a documentary I'm sure we both watched, uh, it was Joshua Fabia and Joshua Fabia's girlfriend running it, and they would put things like, look at that tight, hot ass. <laughs> Very, very, uh, very, um, uh, what, very blue oyster of them. <laughs> OSW has corrupted uh, us. Oh, yeah, we used to be good Christian boys. Now look at this, you know. Good thing you did mention Tim Elliott versus Mohamed Makayev, though, because that's a good tangent for us to talk about the prelims. You can see those on our screen right now. And we are going to talk about that fight in a little bit more detail because that is going to be our prelim headliner. And I find Mohamed Makayev quite a fascinating sort of conundrum for the USA because 
here we have a guy who is unbeaten. He came into the UFC with a ton of fanfare, both for what he was doing on the amateur scene, but also for how he was uh, dominating people pre-UFC. Um, he's, as mentioned before, unbeaten. There's a possibility of him, if he continues at the rate he's going, of being the youngest ever champion in UFC history. He's on course to do so. And he's backed by two of the biggest fan bases in the sport, the British and the Dagestani. Yet the guy is so boring, the company don't dare risk putting him in on a pay-per-view main card. He, he's, he is the exception to the rule. Remember when I said it's not always the case. Sometimes you have fighters who are boring wrestlers. He is the exception to that rule for the uh, the people of the, let's say, uh, you know, the Caucasus Mountains, I think, is what they're all from. Most of them from. It's like the, usually, the, isn't that the region? The Caucasus, yes. Crazy? The Caucasus, yeah. He's the Caucasus Mountain John Fitch. Um, and what sucks is I covered his debut, and I was blown away by this guy. He blown came away. out. Oh. <laughs> he came out. He threw a beautiful switch kick. And then a slick takedown into a guillotine choke. I thought it was a leg lock for the longest time, but I guess I remembered incorrectly. And uh, got the win, you know. And I was like, this guy's the man. <laughs> like, this guy's awesome. And now I'm like, okay, like, it's a Makaya fight. Uh, can I just have someone else watch it and tell me what happened? <laughs> it's not, It's never... They haven't been good, but I gotta say... I know we're going to bring it up, but he is tough, like mentally yes. super tough. Yeah, I mean, we we don't have any issues with Mohamed Makayev as a fighter. Well, he's obviously incredibly talented at what he does. It's just as yeah. fight fans, we're not entertained by it. Yeah, he's just kind of boring. Yeah. I am interested to see, though, there is one intrigue when it comes to a Makayev fight this time, though. This is his first fight since he suffered a really, really bad injury because he was caught in a leg lock and, like, that knee was pretty much bending backwards. He refused to tap, still went on to win. This is going to be his first fight since he underwent surgery. And from having done my knee in before, I, and obviously watching a lot of sport, I know that if you do your ACL, some fighters, some sports people are never the same afterwards. So, uh, and bearing in mind that this guy's what, 21, 22 years old, to potentially have that kind of ailment, I mean, that could long-term really impact his career. So I am interested to see if it does play a part in this fight. I don't expect it to. He is the biggest favourite on the card. And I think Tim Elliott, while as entertaining as he is, while as tricky and wild as he can be, is past his prime. I don't think he's going to pose as much of a challenge as he would have done, say... Uh, seven or eight years ago. Yeah, it, it's... I think Tim Elliott... I'm actually going to pick Tim Elliott to at least... Maybe not win, but really make him work for it. Because he's just scrappy. He's got all that experience, you know. And uh, he's kind of in my boy's stable. I like Tim Elliott. He's fun. He's he's a fun non-finisher to me. But um, I, I think Mikhaev is... Like, I'd be really curious to see how how that explosiveness is still going to be there. Yeah. I think, because... the guy, I think the guy who's going to cause him a lot of problems is uh, Royval. I think Brandon yeah. Royval is the younger evolution of Tim Elliott. 
yeah, Brandon Royval's awesome, and he's fighting for a title soon. He so, is. I mean, I think you could do Mikhaev, Kaikara France. Oh man, Manel Cape. Oh, Manel Cape. Brandon That's the fight. Yeah, Brandon Moreno was who I said yesterday, but Manel Cape is the as a sweet one. That's awesome. So looking further down this card, um, is there anybody else in terms of like name value who stands out to you? Any sort of any fighters who you're looking forward to seeing? There was one on here, and uh, my brand Nathaniel Wood. I'm a Nathaniel Wood guy. I like Nathaniel, and I think moving yeah. the featherweight has done him the world of good. He was cutting far too much to get down the bantamweight. He's a big guy. He's a big guy. I was surprised when I heard how big he was. And uh, I like Nathaniel Wood. I think he's, in interviews, he comes off as, like, the nicest, coolest dude. And uh, very well-spoken. Very, very a good, a good ambassador for the sport. So I'm rooting for him. I'm rooting for him to, you know, show up and do some do some wild things at featherweight, hopefully. Well, I certainly hope so. And he passed the Feely test. Like, usually, if mm -hmm. you want to try and gauge how good someone can be, you put him against Andre yeah. Feely. Yeah, that's, that's a great fight for him too i mean because like uh andre feely is you know yeah he's older and he still has gauges it's awkward it you know and it kind of throws you off it's kind of a mental warfare it's like he's he's in his 30s he still has gauges it's not 28 2008 anymore what's going on you know <laughs> that was a big style in america i don't know if it was a, if it ever got popular over in the, the uk oh we were getting still those shell like, suits <laughs> Yeah, the getting the gauges was a big thing. I, I know people who uh, who dress. I have a people that I work with. Whenever I see them for like any time I go to the office or anything like that, uh, I see them and they go. They look all professional and stuff like that, but they can like take their earlobe down and show how big it is. It's, it's like, Ew, stop it, gross. <laughs> yeah, I can't really comment. So I prefer uh, fluffy jumpers. Yeah, I like. I I prefer. Um, um, what's it called? Uh, the bell-bottom jeans myself. Get good old Stevie Nicks fashion, you know? Nothing wrong with that, Stevie <laughs> Nicks. I, like, Stevie Nicks may be one of my favorite uh, female musicians. Like she's her, her she's the Kate goat. Bush. Uh, oh, yeah, Kate Bush is fantastic. I think Stevie Nicks is the goat. I think she's uh, just... I've been, I listen to so much Fleetwood Mac. Uh, being from the South, it makes sense. But uh, I love Fleetwood Mac. They're so good. Yeah. Uh, just put on this final point, though, before we move on to the main card itself. One of the things I have noticed in regards to the prelims, and this might just sort of play my whole sort of issues with the Abu Dhabi card, there's a real sleazy side to a lot of the fighters appearing on this. Um, like, if you look at some of the names there, like um, Cedricus Dumas, he's going to be competing, and there's the history with domestic violence, and apparently he said some couple of things with some journalists which didn't go down well. But also the guy who's opening the card, it's a guy called Shara Magomedov. Now, in terms of fighting style, this guy is very entertaining to watch. A lot of spinning kicks, primarily a striker, very much in the sort of Zabit sort of mold. But there's a lot of stories to go around behind the scenes regarding this guy. So there's a video that went viral whereby um, there was a couple who were kissing in front of him. And he ran over and started beating them up because he, he disapproved of that. And also he took part in a jiu-jitsu tournament, um, lost the match, uh, I think it was by a leg lock, and then started attacking his opponent after the match. So 
the UFC not choosing the most composed people in the world to fly their flag. I I don't like it. Um, you know. Then again, look at look at Dana White. So, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, he and I I will never forget what you know in, in in the in the immortal words of in the immortal words of John Jones, he who is without sin should throw the first rock, and I shall smoketh it. Yeah, John Jones with his history of domestic violence, hit and run charges, uh, multiple cocaine. failed drug tests, cocaine. Did an entire video about it. Yeah, it, it, it. I remember you going, "How do I narrow this down to ten? And it is so funny. That is one of the funniest lines I've ever woken up to from you. And it was so funny to me. I'm like, I don't know either. <laughs> it's too many controversies. So we'll move on to the main card, and you sort of touched on it earlier on in the show. Uh, for fight number one, we're going to be starting in the bantamweight division. It is Saeed Nurmagomedov who is going to be taking on Tajikistan's finest, which is Muin Gafurov. Betting odds for this one is Saeed as a minus 205 favorite. You can get Gafurov at plus 175. And I'm going to start this by posing quite a general question, and I just want your opinion on Is Saeed on this card because of his last name? Absolutely. He's good too, which sucks. But he has it, it. That last name is just like it's like the Jones or Smith, you know. Like just because you have that last name doesn't mean you're necessarily related. You know, me and Jeff Neal aren't related, yeah. but or are we? I mean, it would pose <laughs> but, a lot of questions if you and Jeff Neal were related. It wouldn't pose very much to me, admittingly. Um, I, <laughs> I, I, I think uh, I. I I mean, if Gene Jeff Neal were related, I'd actually be kind of tickled by that. Um, but uh, at the, uh, I, I mean, I felt bad for Saeed though, because it's like, oh, you have the last name of the most famous fighter from the Caucasus Mountain area, from Dagestan, and um, the guy who put you on the map for fight fans. And it's like, you're you're not related to him. You don't even fight really like them. Yeah. Necessarily. Like, I will stress, Saeed isn't related by blood to the Nurmagomedovs. I don't think he trains with the Smash Factory either, like the whole Abdul uh, training camp. Um, he's more sort of in the mold of Zabit in terms of the way that he mm-hmm. fights. Very long, very rangy. Um, almost sort of seems to avoid boxing in any kind of capacity. It's either long distance kicks from the outside, a lot of spins, or he's trying to clinch you up to take you down. So there's no sort of middle ground in there. I will say, though, that, that last name, though, the burden that must come with carrying that last name, even if you were related or not, it's like, he's sort of like the Bruce Hart of the Nurmagomedovs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's better than, um, oh, what was, what was the heart that was like, it should be all about me. It's better than me and him. Was I forgot Smith? the name of that heart. No, it was, uh, what's the heart that OSW always makes fun of? It's Bruce. It is Bruce? Oh, yeah. man. That's the word. <laughs> Being the Bruce Hart is never a fun thing. I mean, you don't have Keith Hart's uh, mustache either. That's a, it's a hell of a mustache. We need more mustaches in the UFC. Like, RDA had one for a little bit, but, like, I'm talking, like, a full-on awesome. Don Fry, Dan Seven. Don, Don, Don Fry had the greatest mustache of all time. Yeah, Don Fry. Don Fry's mustache made Tom Selleck look like... Uh, <laughs> uh, Ali Abdelaziz. 
the most bald man I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. So what what's your opinion on Saeed as a fighter? Like we'll have got a guy here who's seventeen and three. Uh, he was on a good winning streak before Jonathan Martinez, um, who I believe fought on the um, card yesterday. Card last night. Took, yeah. what, took away his um, winning streak. Um, what did you? What was your opinion on that fight? What's your opinion on Saeed as a fighter? Do you think this is a, an easy bounce back for him? Where do you personally stand? Man, I think uh, that Jonathan Martinez lost his aging pretty well, admittingly, to me right now at least. But um, yeah, I mean, Saeed... He's really good. He's very Zabit-esque, where they don't like to have... He doesn't necessarily like to box. Like Zabit didn't like to box. Um, one thing he does have over Zabit is um, the fact that Zabit hit, like, a small girl. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was, a, that was the line that killed us yesterday for, like, ten minutes. It's it is a great so, line, no. Yeah, Jack Slack, blessed, you know. He jacks like claimed that about Zabit because he's like, and Zabit hits hits a guy in the face clean right on the button for like fifty times a fight in a round even, and he doesn't have a single finish. Like what's going on? He must hit like a small girl. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah. It's, so there you um, go. Slacky well, doesn't only take the mick out of Shevin yeah. Musasi. Yeah, he he used to take it out of. He, he's taken it out of everybody. It's Mighty Mouse recently. He takes it out as a beat. <laughs> but is, is, Saeed does have power, though. Saeed can finish guys with his strikes. He's got a good submission game. Um, he can wrestle. I mean, if you look at his last name, he isn't as insane of a wrestler as you would expect. But he is a good wrestler if you've never seen him fight. Um, and uh, But the big thing is, very Taekwondo style. Uh, likes to circle and move. And just snap kicks up. Not a lot of straight kicks, though. So I think that could give him some problems in this matchup. I think if there's two sort of weaknesses when it comes to Saeed, um, I don't think he enjoys being pressured. It's like what no. you always say, you've got to pressure the kicker. Sort of like overwhelm yeah. them. And also as well, one of his losses in the UFC came against Heoni Barcelos. And Barcelos mm-hmm. used a very wrestling-centric game to sort of neutralize him on the ground. And that just kind of held him down for like three rounds. And that plays into Muin Gafurov, who he's only had one fight in the UFC. He lost to John Castaneda earlier on in the year. The Sexy Mexi, which must be up there as one of the best nicknames in the sport. And I have to admit, I completely forgot about this fight. It was on one of those Apex fight nights and it just seemed to blend into one. I rewatched hmm. it. Very entertaining fight. And this guy is just constant pressure. Just coming forward, big wild overhands. I'm going to try and get you against the fence and try and take you down. It's very fun, very very throwback style to me, you know, of just like come in there, just start the Vandalay <laughs> style. Yeah, it's it's almost it's a little bit it's an upgraded version of the Bart Simpson, you know. <laughs> If it's not hey, my fault if you're getting close. The Bart Simpson strategy won Juliana Pena the Bantamweight title. She she used the, the Simpson style in general because she, she was homering it for the first round. And then then last thing I remember is Mo coming in on the <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it, he he is there there is no break on his train. It is full speed ahead. With Vanderlei hooks, chin a little up in the air, 
coming at you, and he's going to get you to the cage, and he is going to shoot. Yeah. And it's just, it's it's very fun. He's a very fun little just ball of aggression and anger. It's good when we sort of bring up Vandalay in regards to Gafurov as well, because I was looking through his record, and... One of the guys that he has fought, he actually was actually a one championship alumni. He actually had a run there, including a loss to Mini Vandalay Silva, John Lineker. Yeah, John, Mini Vandalay Silva is John Lineker and Jessica Andrade to me. Uh, those two are very, very much like Vandalay. Uh, John Lineker's a little tighter and goes to the body more, but yeah, that's. Uh, he lost. It was a unanimous decision, wasn't it? It was, yes. Um, actually, yeah. an interesting side about both of these guys, neither of them have been stopped. So yeah. either one of those O's is going to go, or it's going to be like an inevitable decision. Because I know there was like a yeah. big thing about um, Cheeto Vera and Pedro Munoz. One of these chins is going to break, and that never happened. I, I mean, I told yeah. everyone that fight's definitely going to a decision. Yeah, it's, it'd be I'd be real hard to press to see. I think I said that Cheeto could finish him, but I wasn't really buying it. Uh, but um, yeah, that's what I think of Cheeto Vera now. Ever since you called him blunt force trauma, uh, I yeah. hear that, I hear that term, and I just think of Dada's promo against Kimbo. <laughs> the greatest fight in Bellator history. That's the worst fight of all time, honestly. <laughs> Because, I mean, I hate saying it, man. It Like, that fight, that fight's dark when you really think yes. about the aftermath of it. It's like, God, you know, it's the, it's the worst fight ever. But I, whenever I think of Blunt Force Trauma, I, I always think of uh, the thing everybody knows. L.A. Night. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I love that. I saw a picture of it. I don't watch SmackDown or Raw, but I saw a thumbnail on YouTube of his sunglasses reflecting Roman. And I'm like, oh, that is hype. And I watched that segment because of that thumbnail. That is sick. I did Good camera see, angle Kevin Dunn. I did see somebody um, talked about LA Knight, and they sort of compared him. He is he is to The Rock what Oasis are to The Beatles. <laughs> That's a very good one, you know. Then who's the blur? <laughs> hmm. Um yeah, because the Blur in Oasis apparently used to get in fights backstage, and now they're friends. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of that was the media. I actually wrote one of my dissertations on uh, Cool Britannia, oh. like Blur, Oasis, Pulp, Suede, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a good era. Very good it's era. Great era. And speaking yeah. of good eras, uh, the Bantamweight division Bantam is going through right a hell of a good era right now. Like, the amazing thing is, I think we have two very talented fighters and mm-hmm. I think on paper, this could be a competitive fight between the two. Yeah. And they're both unranked. This division is absolutely stacked. It is. It's the best division in the world right now. Bantamweight is. Like, it's the best division in the world. Uh, you can have... If it's like, hey, we're going to make a ranked fight in the UFC between Bantamweights, it's like, grab your popcorn, because they're most likely going to be the best fight on the card. And, like, I think a fight that didn't get enough love, it was uh, two years ago, it was, it was in Abu Dhabi, I think, as well, for free, was Sanhagen and Piotr Jan. The good fight. That was that was an interim title, wasn't it? Yeah, that's, that's probably, like, one of, like, in my top fights ever, because it's just a perfect fight for me. Both guys just kind of stepping it up, amping it up. 
and uh, you know, one person like momentum shifts all over the place on a technical striking level. It's so cool. It's just and, such a shame that's uh, a teacher's pet at the uh, top of it, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It did have a. Uh, <laughs> it's just a shame that Piotr Jan imploded too, because he was so awesome for a while. Yeah. Um, but the bantamweight is incredible. It, it's just got. If it wasn't for the fact that we have a poodle as champion, I would, <laughs> I would be, you know, hey man, poodle. You know what, man, poodles are good dogs though. Like. Uh, we recently, our dog recently here got out, and we haven't been able to find him. So I was thinking about, it. I was like, man, poodles are good dogs. They're smart, <laughs> good breed. I didn't know about your dog. But, uh, oh yeah, he got out. He got out Friday. Have you got and, him back? Uh, we have no idea where he is. Oh no. Yeah, little puppy. He's my my best friend's dog, and uh, little dude. And we let him out in the backyard to kind of run out some energy, and we ran an errand came back and we were like, we'll get him in a little bit, you know, cause sometimes, you know, he'll get excited and he'll use the bathroom like five or six, eight times out there. Cause he's just going to bring him inside. He's just going to ask to get back out. And uh, like after like 30 minutes, so we were like, I'll oh, just let him out there. And we realized we hadn't heard him bark or whine at the door yet. And so we were like, what's going on? And we like went looking. So we ran around the neighborhood at like one in the morning all day, like or all night. It felt like, and no luck. <laughs> then I came back here, watched a movie, and and then did the first thing. And it was like, eh. It's one of those things that sucks, but, you know, it's it's right. Eh. It's just how it is. I hope you're going to embark, Joe. I hope you're going to embark. We think he's a cute little dude, and uh, it's like a cultural thing. I mean, I hate saying it. like uh, It's like a cultural thing in, like, in urban parts of Oklahoma, especially Mexican-predominated areas. To like see a dog, you want it. Like if it's a stray, snatch it. And we think that's probably what happened. As bad as that sounds, I'm not trying to say anything. I myself am Mexican. It's just, I'm just aware of this cultural thing. It's like a, it's a weird, not so good thing about the world, I guess. This podcast is taking a really dark turn. I know. Let's talk about OSW again. <laughs> uh, yeah. so... Sorry, I. I Apologize for the vaping. I, uh, I had a, I, I legitimately lost track of where we were, and I was like, "Oh, that's right, we're shooting a podcast." <laughs> as long as you stress that it's vaping, because the video yes. would get demonetized it's... if they think it's something else. Yeah, it's not this. I haven't done that since. Well, I, I I'm not on, I'm not on trial here, am I? I'm no. kidding. <laughs> I, I haven't done it in a long time. Yeah, I try to, I try to put it off to the side if I do, because uh, I have nicotine addiction. <laughs> So on paper, striker versus grappler, we've bigged up the potential that this could be an interesting fight. Do you see it playing out as competitive as it seems on paper? This is probably, this has the second highest chance, I think, of being fight of the night, at least in terms of the main card only. Um, I think I think this fight's going to be pretty good, admittingly. Uh, not, not, not a ton of stakes there. and It's definitely, it feels like, an accidental matchmaking, they probably were like, oh, Saeed Nurmagomedov, throw me against this guy who's 0-1 and one in the UFC, not knowing they might have created a little bit of a hurdle. Rodriguez for a guy versus Hozas. Yeah, you know, actually, it's a good one. That was a, that fight's awesome too. Um, so it's definitely an interesting, it could be kind of like that fight actually. But, um, 
you know, I, I think, uh, I think Saeed wins and I think he makes everyone who looks at his last name happy regardless. I'm going to pick Saeed to win this one as well. There's a couple of issues I do have with Kafurov. I think that that sort of wild hook based style, it does leave him open to a counter. And I think Saeed's counter striking has got a lot better. So I can see him catching him coming in, but also as well, Gafurov in the Castaneda fight did tire quite badly by the end. So I think that if he tries going with that forward pressure, isn't able to get Saeed down and control him. I can see Saeed just sort of piecing him apart, maybe hurting him, having him on the ground. I don't think Saeed's going to finish him, but I'm going to say it's sort of like a 30-27. I could see him getting a neck. I could see Saeed getting a neck, but I think it's safe to say 30-27 for the record. So, fight number two now, and we are moving up to the middleweight division, and one of three fights which had a short notice replacement have to step in. It's Ikram Alaskerov, who's going to be taking on the Brazilian Wally Alves, and Alaskerov, the second biggest favourite on the entire card, a minus 425 favourite. You can get Alves in at plus 325. Now, it has been a bit of an awkward sort of start to his UFC career for Ikram Alaskerov. So, he made his debut at UFC 288 against Phil Hawes, won that one by first round knockout and was um, he was almost immediately linked to a couple of big matches so he was originally supposed to fight Costa on the Salt Lake City card that of course fell through mm. no surprise when it comes to Paulo Costa these days then for this card he was supposed to be linked with uh, Nasadin Imavov so makes sense regarding location Imavov sort of like on the fringes of the top 10 uh, so it more, sort of made sense ranking wise that fight unfortunately falls through Alves steps in on short notice. I will say, though, as disappointing as it is for Alaskerov to see these big matches falling through, it's a sign of how highly the UFC rate him that he's being considered for them in the first place. I think I think it's a good sign. I think this guy has a lot of promise, yes. honestly. Like, this guy shouldn't be, like, the Imavov fight makes sense. Uh, I think Roman Delice was a fight we also tossed around. Um... Man, could you imagine him fighting, uh, oh, what's his face? Is it Brendan Allen right now who's, like, kind of Brendan rising Allen's up? Brendan Allen's on a hell of a good run fall. Yeah, Brendan Allen, one of the few guys who have the unlucky statistic of being finished by Sean Strickland. Uh, but, I will say, though... Uh, but he's still good. Yeah, one of my favorite bits of trivia with Brendan Allen, and I was always wondering this myself, he is the only fighter to wear every variant of the UFC fight kit. That's kind of cool, actually. So black, white, red, yellow, green, blue. Hmm. That's awesome. Very colorful guy. Yeah. Um, no. Uh, I uh, I think, I mean, I think like this guy, uh, Alaskarov, he, he's got a lot of potential. He hits hard. He's pretty sound on the feet, and he's a very good grappler as well. It's kind of a, his Phil Hawes finish is terrifying. And Phil Hawes is a guy that I think, because of his athleticism and well-roundedness, he's not going to be. He doesn't have the capacity to beat everybody, but he can give everybody a tough round or two. So that's why I think a lot of people kind of go, "Oh, it's it's fine that Phil Hawes had success in their in the debut fight." Um, that's kind of my line of thinking as well. I mean, Phil Hawes looked really good against Chris Curtis, then got finished. Um, he's there's times where Phil Hawes looks unbelievable and then just loses. Um, it's just kind of how it is. Were you concerned um, about how much success Hawes was having early in that fight? Because I, no, I was one I, of the people who was 
like I bigged up Alaskair of when we talked about the prelims of 288 and I said Phil Hawes mm. was going to have a tough night and yet for the early stages of that fight he was pacing Alaskair off apart it took Alaskair for a while to get into that match I, I, I don't because I think of like Chris Curtis and him he gave Chris Curtis a lot of problems and then Chris Curtis just uncorked a left hand on him and that was it, you know. And so it's like I've seen Phil Hawes just give much better fighters a, a tough run because of how, like, multifaceted he is and, uh, and just like, how sound he is. Like, he's very sound. He's like a sound glass cannon in my mind, you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, Alice Garoff just I, – I think that finish is really terrifying, <laughs> admittingly. Um, and uh, – yeah, it's uh, it's definitely gonna be this fight. This fight's kind of I feel kind I feel kind of bad for him because I he she, she I'm not nothing against Alves personally or anything like that, but uh, I I I wish he had a bigger fight here, you know, admittingly, but so we'll talk about Wally Alves in a lot more detail here. Fourteen and six record. Um, it is his first pay per view main card appearance since UFC one ninety eight. He fought Brian Barberino, which is a criminally underrated fight. Nobody ever talks about how good that one is. It's also his first middleweight match since he was on the Brazilian version of The Ultimate Fighter, which he ended up winning. But when a lot of people speak about Wally Alves, they usually bring up two things. One is the win over Colby Covington. He was the first guy to beat Colby and did so by submission. But also a lot of people feel like he never lived up to the potential that he showed on Toth, and he's a bit of a, a missed opportunity. If, would you say that's fair? It's super fair, because I remember hearing about this guy on Tough, and everybody was talking about he's the next, he's the next coming like super guy, because he's a he chases he likes his body shots. He isn't just a headhunter, which I feel like that's a very big Brazilian thing. I think a lot of guys like these Brazilian powerhouses typically are end up being headhunters. Um, He's not a headhunter. He attacks the body. He's attack. He'll attack the legs, and uh, you know he he treats every part of your body equal. And he has a nasty guillotine choke, and it's strong. He was huge at welterweight, so it was like it, it was very interesting seeing like hearing about this guy. And then when that bubble burst, something changed, and he just didn't have it anymore. And what do you think that is? Do you think that's just the jumping competition was too high. Was he complacent? Um, it, has his body held up physically? Because I think that's um, that's one of the things I have noticed from going back and watching Wally Alves' fights is that Wally Alves is only, what, 31, 32 years old? But he's almost got that Shogun thing where physically, like in terms of age, in terms of a number, he's still comparatively mm. young, but he just feels washed. Yeah. He feels shot. He's so shot. I don't know what it is. I think it's part of it's the weight cut. I wonder if, like, this move to middleweight's better for him in the long term. You know? That's kind of something I think about. Because, I mean, he was so big at welterweight that I wonder if that weight cut just jacked him up. Because I, I, I think, honestly, if we if Till never went to middleweight, I think you'd probably be saying something similar about Till. Yeah. Um, but, well, Darren Till is another guy I just feel like he's He's still a guy who's, what, 29, 30 years he's old? Like, and he feels I, washed yeah. as well. 
yeah, he seems super washed for some reason. And it, it must be those it, those hard weight cuts, man. Weight cutting is a rough, man, rough rough aspect of the sport, especially if you're a big guy. You know, it it's it's very weird. You know, because Till used to always brag that he's a a light heavyweight fighting at welterweight, and it's like, well, that wasn't healthy for you long term. I think that hurt you long term. Am I right in saying all this? Is all this shoot box? I think so. That I thought, I remember hearing well, he they was... have very heavy spavers. Yeah, there's all the legends you hear, all the stories of how hard their sparring sessions are. I mean, you know, uh, I mean, so is uh, Oliveira, and he got pulled out of this fight. So, I mean, then again, though, we said Oliveira was shot for a while, and now look, you know, look at how he's regarded now. So, but at the same time, it's like it's a little different with Alves. I, I think it's a different kind of shot. So we we're almost sort of writing his uh, eulogy here, Wally Alves, which I think is very unfair for a guy who yeah, could very easily kick both of our asses at the same time. If, oh, yeah. yeah I, if Alves is going to win this fight, what do you think is the best way to do it? What would you say are his biggest strengths? He's really strong, and I think he could, if his, if his gas tanks up for it, he could really sap a lot of the energy out of Alaskarov. Well, and if Alaskarov does something dumb and leaves his neck out there, it's getting stashed and Varley Alves is winning. If he gets a guillotine, they're really tight. Ask Colby Covington. That guillotine is terrifying and very tight. And he had, he carries power. Like he does hit very hard. Um, I'm really curious how the strength, the strength's going to be here. Cause Alves was super huge at welterweight. And I almost think he'll kind of even out a little bit at middleweight where he'll be he'll be able to keep up with everybody in terms of strength to strength. He won't just be outclassed because he's moving up in weight. Um, I think he'll actually have a good chance of just, you know, being the being just as strong as everybody else in a sense here. But we are talking about a guy that stuffed Hamzat's takedowns. That is the level of strength Crazy. that Wally Alves is having to deal with. That is that is a interesting fight, honestly. The, the, between those two. When those two fought, it was super interesting. And he stopped them and acted like it was nothing. He did get beat and finished, right? But, like, still, it's insane. Yeah. Uh, so. Another big thing when it comes to Alaskarov as well is we always speak, like, glowingly about his grappling. It's physical grappling as well. Like, if you look at a lot of the finishes that he's going for, so it's five KOs, five submissions... Three of those submissions are Kimuras, so it's very, like, talk and power-based, and I, I love seeing a good Kimura as well. You very seldom mm-hmm. see that in this day and age. It's a hard submission to get because to set it up, it's a strength-to-strength submission. So, like, it's one of those things where you have to be strong enough to grab a guy by his wrist and plant it, put it in position for you to then make it the unfair two arms against one kind of submission it is but it's a very hard like how many how many times do we see someone go for a kimura where they'll grab the wrist lock and they can't get it in the place you know because the other guy is just like a little just as strong as him and the fact that he has so many kimuras is impressive like it was um christoph soshinsky had tons of kimuras and all i could think of is that guy is so strong then that guy is super strong so with Alaskarov getting all his Kimuras, he's got to be really strong too. 
Like, I remember it was uh, Whaley versus Limosh. Like, Limosh's only moment in that fight was when she got that Kimura in the first round. And I was like, oh, mm. my God, oh, my God. Yeah, I thought she had it because she was so strong. I was like, oh, this chick's strong enough to get it. And you brought it up. I you think. brought up her torque submissions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of torque, a lot of just... I mean, if that would have happened, if I would have called that, I would have I been... I would have shown up in, a, you know, a scepter... And cape and crown <laughs> on this. <laughs> well, Halloween is coming up, Joe. You'll probably be doing like a post fight recap in the full on fancy dress. I. Uh, it turns out I might be uh, Waluigi from the <laughs> Nintendo series. I'm gonna be. No, I'm not gonna Waluigi. I'm Wario. I'm gonna be Wario. My best friend is Waluigi because he's tall. He's he's, uh, he's a taller guy. He's six one. And uh, we have we with my friends that are hosting the Halloween party. The him and his brother are going as Mario and Luigi, and they have no idea that we're going to be Wario and Waluigi to mess with them. I'm going. I'm going as Zach Morris. That way, I'm just wearing the same stuff. Hell yeah! I used to go as a, a nudist on strike. I used to have a <laughs> sign that said "I'm on strike," and they go, "What are you, a nudist on strike?" Just so I could wear whatever. And I, you know, back in the day. Try and talk to girls, and that's what I used to do. That was my whole, that was my whole shtick for like years. So, are you picking but, Alan Scare off to win this one? Yeah, I think he finishes Alves. Admittingly, uh, we were really harsh on Alves here, and I, we have to stress that it's just merely professional. We have nothing against him, and all this. We're not trying to write his eulogy as bad as when you said that. I went, oh, now I feel a little bad. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, God, I, admittingly, you can't, you can't do picking. that in sport like this either. Like, how many times have we seen upsets? Yeah, uh, the most wrong I have ever been for a fight is I said Ben Askren by however he wants against Mosfidal. That's the I, I said he's going to beat him by decision, most likely just torture him for three rounds. And not only did I pick the guy wrong, I picked the decision mostly was the most likely outcome. And it was the other guy winning by the fastest knockout in MMA his, in UFC history, and I went, "Oh, that is the most wrong I could possibly be." I think I picked uh, Charles Jordan to um, lose to Chrome Gracie. I think that's one of the most embarrassing I ones. That was recent too, and I yeah. was like, "Okay, so I come back in the in the fight record." Well, I thought well, I thought he'd been working with uh, Caesar Gracie. He'd been working with the Diazes, so he had some element mm. of striking. Charles doesn't like going backwards. I thought if he's able to get yeah. him down, it's going to be a wrap. But obviously, um, he took that Gracie surname to heart and very very Nick Sarah esque. If you remember him in Elite yes, XC, yes, yes, I do. Yeah, when he got TKO'd. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We need to cover more of these Elite XC Strike Force cards. Because, like, there are just some They're bizarre sweet. stories that just come from them. So, like, anybody, if you are listening to this and you do want to donate to the Patreon page and nominate a retro review, like, some, like, Elite XC or some Strike Force would be fantastic. That's just like. I, I think the origin of Don't Be Scared, homie, is Elite XC. Yeah. Like, yeah. there's an entire chapter of this sport that a lot of fans these days just don't recognize don't remember i love talking about it it's so cool seeing comments going like dude i remember this card i didn't really remember much from it but i remember watching it. it's so cool seeing it again i'm like yeah we got him we got him boys i like that comment on um the wec video they were talking about uh, obviously mighty mouse 
uh, Losty's uh, first ever fight on that card, and it was a hell of a good comment. What was he? It was great yeah. as green as a Game Boy screen. It was. It was. Uh, they were like someone said that Mighty Mouse was as green as a St. Patty's Day parade hosted by the Boston Celtics on a Game Boy color screen, <laughs> and I went, "Wow." That is the greenest thing I've ever heard of. That makes Omos and uh, and Heidenreich look like vets. To how green that is. Would have been Nathan wow. Johnson there as well. Yeah, jolly green giants coming in. You know, <laughs> Nathan Jones was in Fury Road I, when I rewatched a little bit of that movie. Nathan I, Jones was in it. I have to be honest. When I saw those pre-hype promos, I thought Nathan Jones was going to be an absolute star. That's fair. That's very fair. I I just remember him because I was like, what? Why is he take? Why is Taker his friend? I remember thinking that as a kid, and uh, I was right. You know, mind you, this you is know, a guy I, that used I, I to hang around with Viscera and Midian. Moving on, you yeah. got me so good there. I, I I don't have a response. You got me too good there. Yeah. So <laughs> by number three, we are moving up to the light heavyweight division and. A rarity when it comes to this card, uh, a fight that actually stayed together. It's Magomed Ankalaev who was taking on Johnny Walker. Ankalaev is a minus 350 favorite. He's taking on Walker, who is at plus 265. So I'm going to start with a quite a bold question, and I just want your opinion on it. Is Magomed Ankalaev the best light heavyweight in the UFC? I think he's got probably the most the best claim for it, but I, I would pick Yuri over him. I think I think I see Yuri beating almost everybody, unless he's stupid against Pajeda. Because I think I God, I have this, not to spoil my pick. I, I I'm really worried that he's gonna be like, no, I'm a samurai. I'll stand with Pajeda. Yeah. I, I've got uh, a feeling but, that Alex is gonna win that one as well. And given my all like my whole stance is, I'm somebody who favors meritocracy. It would bother me mm-hmm. to see a guy become a two-division champion in the UFC off the back of looking scary, basically. Yeah. <sighs> Regardless, Uncle Hayev has just as good of a claim as anybody, though, yes. I think. Um, because I, I scored his Jan Blahovich fight for a draw. Uh, I, I scored that a draw, I think... Mm, yeah, it was definitely a draw, I think, in my mind. Because I thought Jan did really well, but that last round's 100% at 10-8. And he's just... I mean, outside of the Paul Craig loss, he's been just untouchable. Yeah. One big thing that has stood out, though, with Ankalaev is... Like, I'm very high on the guy in terms of his talent level. Mm-hmm. But you look at the record and you look at the fights themselves... He's a lot safer than he used to be. Like, he was, like, in terms of striking, he was just putting guys away. He looked fantastic on the feet. And for whatever reason, just a trigger hit, the competition got better, and he's so cautious these days. And I think in, and I think in part, part of the reason why people maybe don't want to give Ankalaev the credit that he maybe deserves is because of that safe style. I think it's the same with Rakic. Mm-hmm. He used to be so awesome, Uncle Iev. Rocket is super boring. And Anthony Smith is kind of boring sometimes. 
But I mean, but, even I mean, Rakic uh, had that Jimmy Rivera knockout. He was tidy. He yeah. had a good run of knockouts as well. And again, he went very safe on, and on Manoa. Yeah, over Manoa, just that's like one of the that's one of the cleanest head kicks I've ever seen land. And then you go, oh, this guy's got to be the man. And it's like, no, nah, no, nah, not really. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, Ankalaev used to be awesome. His in Kutalaba runs were, and then he has a lot of head kick wins. Tons of power. He could catch you and just blast you. But then he's like, he started becoming really safe when he started reaching that upper echelon. And it's he's been really boring. I think this is my pick for the Snorefest of the card. There's, like the potential Snorefest. There's a potential there. Um, I, I, I mm-hmm. totally agree with you because you have got Ankaliev who is playing things a lot safer when it comes to being on the feet. And Johnny Walker who... Another guy who just exploded on the scene when he came into the UFC. I mean, a lot of people were saying fast track him to a John Jones fight. He might be the guy to dethrone John Jones, which I never bought into, but there was a lot of fans online mm-hmm. that did. The big thing with Johnny Walker that's changed with him, though, is he made that move to join John Kavanagh at SBG, and it was a lot of people that raised eyebrows. They thought, like, yeah, John Kavanagh had a lot of success with Conor McGregor, but that was sort of seen as sort of like a diamond in the rough. The other SBG guys never really lived up to that stardom. So a lot of people were thinking, really, you're going there? But, three fight winning streak. He beat Anthony Smith in comparatively straightforward fashion. Hmm. Is this move to SBG world? It, it kind of has. Like, so he's been there for five fights. His first two fights there, he was beat... But, like, I think it was Tiago Santos and, and then, then Jamal, Hill. Jamal Hill, which just has that, like, it's a horrifying knockout, but people memed it, and I feel kind of bad how, how it makes me laugh. I, I, it shouldn't. It's it's horrible, but it makes me laugh a little bit. But it's a loss which is um, aged well as well, bearing in mind what Jamal Hill's become. Yeah, absolutely. And he was really gun-shy in that Tiago Silva, or Tiago Santos fight. He was incredibly gun-shy. Um... And I think, I mean, he's gotten kind of boring outside of the Paul Craig finish, which was more so Paul Craig just getting caught. And I think, uh, I think he's been kind of, I think he's, he's not been still that entertaining, but he's winning and that's huge. And he's working. And if he wins here, he's basically guaranteed him to be in that title mix, like right around the corner from a title shot, if not getting it you know, uh, against the winner of the upcoming 205 title fight. I have to be honest, I've been very much in the minority when it comes to like Johnny Walker and Kavanaugh because I actually mm. like a lot of the ideas that John Kavanaugh has put forward. Like, the big thing that stood out for Johnny Walker before moving there was that he was very chinny. Like, yeah, you catch mm. him on that chin, he's going to go down. Uh, so I like what Kavanaugh was trying to do where here we've got this long guy who's massive for the weight class he has chin issues let's try and turn him into an outside striker and I, I actually think bearing in mind some of those weaknesses it's a good idea but it's kind of like it's not what got Johnny Walker to the dance it's like buying a Ferrari and using it as an off-road car yeah it uh, that that uh that analogy is perfect because that's exactly what it feels like. It just feels kind of wrong, <laughs> weird way to me. It feels like a it feels like sacrilege. 
Although um, I will say, you know, I was doing some research and Ferrari actually did enter a few World Rally events in the 70s. Wow. Did they do well? No. No. Uh, fair. In fairness, I would root against them because I, I, I love the movie Ford versus Ferrari. Oh, it's a fantastic film. <laughs> I've always been a Ferrari man. fan. I've always been a Ferrari man, though. I'd be honest, I follow Formula One. Mm. And a lot mm. of it stemmed from the fact that when I started watching, I didn't like Jack Villeneuve. So Michael Schumacher <laughs> was the big rival in that season. So I always rooted for Michael just because I didn't like Villeneuve with his pink hair and his silly glasses. <laughs> I, uh, I'm, a, I'm a Ford guy, funny enough, because uh, my dad worked for Ford. Like, uh, that's who was, uh, basically who his boss was, was a Ford Motor Company. Because um he uh, uh he sold uh, commercial vehicles for him, so I've always been a Ford guy. Because my dad's been working for him since I was like a little kid. But uh, so that movie, that movie's like, you know, us going at it essentially is what we're implying. <laughs> I'm just yeah. I've, I've always wondered um, this, you know, like because I know it's like a more of a UK thing. But did he sell Ford Transits over in America? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I That's so. the best British invention, in my opinion, the Ford Transit. Yeah, I, I believe so. I think I'm not looking this up in the middle of a fight podcast. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> Let's try and focus on the fights though, because yeah. um, sorry, Snorfest fight. I'm just kidding. <laughs> usually this, this... if you want a sort of a clue of our sort of entertainment level, how we expect to fight, how we entertaining we expect the fight to be is how much we don't talk about it. You got a point. I mean, it's, it's incredibly accurate. So if this fight the last, is... the last preview show was mostly us just talking, and we went, "Oh yeah, I guess Adesanya wins." Anyways, so about wrestling, yeah. <laughs> um. So if this fight is to defy the odds, and it's going to be a five star classic, how's it going to happen? I think, I think Ankalaev catches that chin, or even more fun, Johnny Walker catches that chin. And it becomes a slugfest. And like, uh, if Uncle, realistically speaking, if Johnny Walker catches that Uncle Live chin, Uncle Live shooting, going in for a shot and going to wrestle. Um, if Uncle Live catches the chin of Johnny Walker, he's probably putting him out and finishing him. Um, it's just kind of how their stylings are, and just their overall game levels are. Uh, I don't think Johnny Walker, once he's caught, has good instincts. I think that's one reason why he's considered chinny. is because when he gets hit, he doesn't know what to do. You know, whereas Ankalaev and a lot of people who are strikers but have a wrestling back pedigree or vice versa, um, when they get hit, they have that instinct of just shooting in, you know. Because that's one of the things so, I was saying about Frankie Edgar. Because Frankie Edgar always gets hit. It's like having one of the best chins of all time. I don't think mm -hmm. his chin was amazing. What he had was he knew what to do when he was hurt. Yeah. He was just really calm under the fire. Yeah. Tony Ferguson was like the as big well. thing. One of the best ever, you know, when it comes to that. Like, knew what to do when he gets hurt. I mean, like, when I think of, like, crazy chins at lightweight, unironically, Habib took bombs from a ton of fighters and I think I've only seen two of them like actually do anything. What do you mean, like, Michael Johnson? Michael Johnson and Boye. Like Michael Joe Johnson Logan and said Poirier. it. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Johnson and Poirier are like the only ones I've ever seen stun him. And 
that's also th- well. Gaethje hurt him too. Gaethje blasted him uh, with a couple of shots, but like like the five or six bombs he landed on on Habib, only one of them did anything. Like that that guy had a wild chin. Admittingly, that's one reason why he you know ended up the way he did twenty twenty eight and one because Gleason Tebow beat him. Yes. Watch that fight. Yes, Gleason Tebow beat him. Just a horrible decision. You brought up an interesting point when it comes to Ankalaev, though, and it was something I was actually going to bring up myself, is that a lot of people expect Ankalaev just to immediately start shooting for takedowns because I think it's safe to say when you weigh up the wrestling of Johnny Walker up against the wrestling of Ankalaev, there's no competition. But what Ankalaev likes to do is he'll try and keep it standing as long as he possibly can. And if things start going south, then he'll turn to the wrestling. It's what happened against Blahovitz mm-hmm. when he realized he was on the back foot. Then the wrestling came into play. And he did the same thing against Nikita Krylov. And if Walker does find some success early, that's when the shot will come. Well, for that moment mm-hmm. where they are standing, and I think Ankalaev will try and keep it standing as long as he can, Walker has a, ch- has a chance. Given the leg kicks would make... I think if- yeah, I'll let you fall first. Oh, that's a good point. You brought up the leg kicks. The leg kicks. Because Ankalaev could not defend them against Jan. Mm-mm. Yeah. One thing, too, I think of big note here is this is an open side matchup. I feel like I say this every every card, and I'm going to continue to say it. Uh, but in the open side matchup, meaning Ankalaev is a southpaw, Tipiker is an orthodox fighter, typically. Um, they both kind of switch, but for the most part, they're like that. Uh, whenever a wrestler shoots in for a takedown in an open side matchup, the rear knee, the power knee, is in perfect position to be brought up and catch the chin. So that, and Johnny Walker has a lot of flying knee KOs. Yes. So. Serkinov. Yeah. Oh, my God. One of the craziest ones ever. He literally lines him up, faints on him, and then just leaps in and like a sniper puts it on the perfect spot. That's one of those. That's a great finish. That they pushed him way too hard after, but it's a great finish regardless. Um, and uh, I, that that is a way Johnny Walker could, if he does catch him, he if he's aware of that. If SBG and them, I'm sure they know because I mean they're, I mean we make fun of John Cap, or at least I do. I make fun of John Cap not a lot, um, but I'm sure like if I, it, that's one of those things I feel like if you and me have thought of something, they've definitely thought of it too. Yeah, kind of thing. Because I've, uh, I've seen a couple of interviews with John Kavanaugh and like... He's a smart guy. Yeah, it's it's sad to see him sort of like put in the same sort of bracket as sort of like the, the Tarverdians and Fabias of the world because he is a very intelligent man. And I think he's credentials. He's a nice guy too. Yes. I feel bad for the guy. Yeah. So I will say I am picking Ankalaev to win this one. Um, I'm going to say a second round stoppage. I think he is going to catch the chin of Walker at some point. I can maybe see some wrestling from Ankalaev early in the first round and then catching him in the second. What's interesting, though, in regards to this fight, though, is because we have this log jab at 2 or 5, there isn't really much at stake for either guy. Because weird. I don't think I, I don't think the winner of this is going to be getting a title fight. I think they will... will they will pay Jamal Hill, and he will get first dibs on whoever wins the belt at MSG. Mm. And also as well, I think Ankalaev's still in the bad books after what happened at 282. Like, Dana did not like that fight at all. 
it's so funny to me. Like, he's such a little baby, Dana White is sometimes. Very petulant is the word we always say. But at the, him him being upset and walking out on that fight, that fight is like a 6 or 7 to me out of 10. Probably like a 6. It's fine. It's not, like, it's not egregiously bad. It's fine. It's just, it's not bad. It's not good either. It's just, um... You know, all right. I mean, it's there's some there's exciting moments in it. I thought Jan was going to finish him with low kicks. I thought Ankalaev was going to finish him from top position in the fifth round. Like, I don't understand how that's the fight you walk out on. Yeah, if for me, like, five for me is like a sort of mediocre middle-of-the-road fight. Like, you saw, like, mm-hmm. a quintessential apex fight is usually going to be a five. That's the yeah. level it is for me. Like, yeah, it's not I, Vian- I think it's, I rank it a little bit more than that. Yeah. It's not Viana versus Aldrich. That's that's the worst fight I've ever covered on the Retro Review series. Like, I, that's the only fight. I'll go on record in saying this. I said it yesterday, too. I, I will proclaim this. That's the only fight I've ever win. Okay. Like, so, like, there's sometimes like, there's a lot of, like, Holly homing in the clinch, but I know something's good later, so I'll hit L to, like, when I'm rewatching it, to, like, okay, they clinch for a while. L, they're still clinching. L, they're still clinching, like, because it speeds it up 5, 10 seconds. Um, I'll do that to get to when they break away if, like, I know there's a knockout coming so I can talk about the finishing sequence and all that. But um, that's the only fight where I ever, like, manually grabbed it, clicked, and dragged it, like, okay, nothing. Like, maybe I can stomach the second round. No. <sighs> okay. Like, that's the worst fight I've ever covered, I think, on the Retro Review series. Uh just wait till someone nominates UFC 33. Dude, someone's going to. Someone's going to make me watch Nganu, Derek Lewis. Someone's going to make me watch... Uh, <laughs> oh, God. Carla Esparza, Rose 2. I won money on that fight. That's the only good thing about that fight. I won money on it. The wor- the, the, the only good thing about that fight was the fact that I, I felt <laughs> like I was a smarter man for having watched it multiple times to like score it for the recap video and i will never forgive this channel for making me do that no i'm kidding but <laughs> i will say i did a video on like the worst rematches in mma and in, i did this intentionally the thumbnail is carla holding the belt because i expected people to click on it just going ah fuck carla blah, blah. yeah it's oh, that's a horrible fight that's 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 probably the worst fight I've ever seen, admittingly, because it's five rounds. Whereas at least Derek Lewis and Ngannou, it's just fifteen minutes of hell. And the, that's twenty five. And the commentary for Lewis versus Ngannou is hilarious. It's, hilarious. it's just it's, so it's Rogan getting more and more angry, and Dominic Cruz going, "Oh no, Francis is just worried about what happened against Stipe. Trust me, third round he'll open up." It's a horrible fight. It's so, but the commentary is priceless. Dominic Cruz, I love him. Sometimes he is awful on commentary, and DC is usually kind of bad, I think, admittingly. Honestly, the best commentators right now are Felder and Sanko. Yeah. Bisping's usually, he's like hot and cold, I think, but Felder's fantastic, and uh, I, I adore John Anik. I think John Anik is first ballot Hall of Famer for me. I'm actually surprised they haven't put any commentators in the Hall of Fame yet. They like, need to. They need to put Goldberg Mike Goldberg. Deserves to be in there. Yeah. Um, 
he's the golden team. That's what I always call him. Mike Goldberg and Joe Rogan. They're the golden team, you know, um, because uh, I love John Anik. But can I just have, like, sound bites of Mike Goldberg going, here we go. And then it is all over. Like, I want those sound bites for fights because, like, where Mike Goldberg struggled was in the moment-to-moment action, you know. But for the openings and finishes and big moments, I want that voice. There is something I hate the Thug Rose I liked it when it first happened, but DC sort of milked it a bit too much. Awful. Awful. Speaking of awful, we move (laughs) on to our core main event. Well, awful if you're a Kamara Usman fan. I don't think this is going to end very well for him at all. So, middleweight division, it is Kamara Usman who is going to be taking on Hamza Chimaev. Now, this was one of the high-profile short notice replacements which were booked for this card. So, original plan was for Hamza to be making his middleweight debut up against Paolo Costa. A lot of hype surrounding this fight. Uh, both guys with a lot of forward pressure. Uh, both guys who like to talk a big match on social media. However, Costa picks up a staff infection. They need a short notice replacement. And it's Kamara Usman, the former welterweight champion, who is stepping in to take his place. Now, before we talk about the fight itself... I want to start off by posing this question. Now, for the purpose of this, I'm not talking about anything that happens in cage. So this yeah. is nothing to do with the, the actual fight performances themselves. It's purely social media, pre- and post-fight interviews, all that sort of jazz. Are you bored with Hamzat? <laughs> um, when it comes to everything outside of the cage, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I am. Um, he's... He's just a douche. <laughs> There's no other word for it, really. Um, I find him to be, like, just kind of an a-hole. Like, there's no other words for it, really. Uh, there's a difference between, like, look, we cover mixed martial arts. We're not yeah. dealing with the sort of Mother Teresas of the world. You always expect mm-hmm. these kind of personalities in this sport. But there mm. is a difference between being sort of a fun douche, sort of like a Chael Sonnen or a Michael Bisping at the height of his career. Those are sort of fun yeah. douches, guys you love to hate. Hamzat is the opposite, in my opinion. And like yeah. I have to be honest, I've never been the biggest fan of the guy. And this is my own sort of personal opinion. And if you do like the guy, all the power to you. And I'm not going to hold that against you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I've never liked fighters who immediately shoot for takedowns. That's always been sort of a pet peeve of mine. Even if you do something with it, it's just something I've never been keen on. Like, I'm British, so mm. I always prefer strikers. Um, yeah. I always felt there was an element of sort of Dana White privilege around the guy. Because when they were doing those Fight Island cards, and he was sat with Dana watching all the fights he just fought, that didn't sit well with me. And mm. I got bored of his whole, I smash everyone's shtick pretty quickly. There's only three, t- there's only so many times you can hear someone talk a big match on social media before you get bored of them. But I acknowledged I was in the minority. And I had to hold Mm. my tongue and just obviously keep myself to myself. Then UFC 279 happens. He gets given one of the biggest layups in UFC history. A pay-per-view main event against a beloved star he's going to steamroll. And he implodes. Not just the weight miss, but that entire fight week, 
he's fighting with everyone behind the scenes he's like talking a big match he's trying to fight costa he's trying to fight kevin holland and i think it made a lot of people sort of see him the same way i did an abrasive Mm -hmm. meathead yeah him him like going on this like tirade after he beat kevin holland was like what's wrong with you dude like you missed weight like and he wouldn't even acknowledge it like, right? like well they told asking me this... him simple questions like saying are you moving the middleweight i smash you can't if you don't make weight i smash i i so my best friend has a joke that the reason he says like that is he only knows like three things like th- like five six words in english and he just kind of mixes them around hoping that's like you know it's good enough like brother 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 i smash i smash like i brother i smash i you know <laughs> uh i smash brother like kind of thing and uh that really kind of sold me that that could be a distinct possibility that said um god is he insane in the cage like i i dislike him outside of it but god i wish i could just watch him fight more he used to be so active yes and now he fights like once a year if we're lucky and it's just and that brings us on to the sort of big elephant in the room why is he so inactive because we sort of put this forward in a video on the main channel we can't ignore the fact that this guy has deep connections to one of the world's most dangerous dictators yeah absolutely just kadirov man he's his babysitter you call basically yes yeah. like, like he he yeah. trains his kids yeah it's it's it, i felt it's got to be visa issues right is that what you and me are thinking that's the going around there's a couple of reports the big one that does the rounds is visa issues because of kadirov uh, there mm-hmm. was also a rumor going around that his team were campaigning for a title fight off the Kevin Holland win, and the UFC mm. were just like stuck that win. We're not gonna, <laughs> we're not gonna reward you for that. Um, and the sort of Costa fight was brought in originally as a compromise. I personally mm. lean towards um, Kadiva personally, like the fact it's okay. Abu Dhabi as well, which there may be a bit more lax when it comes to visa issues. And also as well, I think he's given up Swedish citizenship. Citizenship, so he's based. He's representing the UAE. So he's just, is he just Chechen then? Like he then? like he was obviously born in Chechnya, but yeah. he relocated to Sweden. So he he was training with all stars. Like, yeah. So he was with Gus's team, and I think now he's given up Swedish uh, citizenship. Uh, so now he represents the UAE. It's kind of like oh, with Brock, man. how Brock sort of represented, in inverted commas, Canada. Yeah, which is kind of funny. For always forget, people forget about that, you know? I mean, um, Bret Hart-esque, Mike Goldberg says as he walks out. Um, Brock, Brock, Brock. It, um, it, so like Brock representing Canada, can you remember when Jim Duggan turned heel and became a Canadian sympathizer? <laughs> oh, oh. Uh, you know what? Do you know what? Uh, one of our favorite wrestlers, not to wrestle, of course, but just to talk, Scott Steiner said about Mexico or about Canada. I have to hear this. He, he called them snow Mexicans. 
That's what he used to call Petey Williams and Bobby Roode back in the day. <laughs> I'm always reminded of that South Park episode. Where, you know the one where Canada goes on strike? So yeah, they recruit a group of Danes to take up all their jobs because Denmark is the Canada of Europe. <laughs> we want more money. <laughs> it's one of, my, one of the best episodes ever. But this fight, though, could be interesting because this was a dream fight for me at welterweight. And now it's at middleweight on short notice. So... And that's the part that, that worries me as well, because I think a welterweight mm. bout, and especially two or three years ago, would have been very, very interesting. Because I think Kamara Usman at that point was still in his prime, and we know how good the guy's takedown defense always was. Like, I think it's what, a 98% takedown defense? Leon is the only guy to ever take him down. Um, crazy. But at this point in time... 35 years old, and I don't know about you. I hate recency bias. It's always been mm-hmm. something that I've always had an issue with when it comes to the sport, so I do apologize for sort of delving into that trap. I thought Kamara Usman looked kind of old in the third Leon fight. I thought he looked kind of bad, I'll be honest. I thought he looked kind of bad. I saw a lot more of his, like, like cat paw punches coming in. Uh, he looked like he looked like a really slow tank just eating counter shots and failing to get takedowns that fight I, I thought Leon I mean obviously it was a competitive fight but I thought Leon took it much easier than we, you, you and me even expected um just uh, so I, I feel like maybe his best is kind of behind him and that makes a concern because if it's as easy as I fear it's going to be People are going to look at the name and not Kamara Usman, sort of like the 2023 fighter. And the yeah. UFC are going to ride it. You know what the UFC are like when it comes to stuff like this? They they won't take into account the fact that, Kama, that Hamza beat a past his prime Kamara Usman in a higher weight class. They'll just focus on mm. the fact he beat Kamara Usman. I, I mean, to, to be fair, um, I think of... Uh... What's the word I'm looking for? Um, I could see what's it called. Uh, it's it's. I think it's this prime just yet. I was thinking about this because yesterday I agreed with you. I think now I'm gonna take my Skip Bayless stance here. No, um, but uh, uh, if you don't know who that is, he is a talking head of sports here. That it just makes outlandish claims with no basis because it's equals ratings and money. Um, so, basic, but, uh, so basically sort of Pierce Morgan. Yeah. Yeah. Actually very, very fair. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, he like, I don't think it's necessarily fair to say he's washed yet. He did look washed in the Leon rematch. I thought, um, but I know some people don't probably disagree with that. Um, so it, it necess- I don't know if it necessarily is if, if he gets steamrolled here, which I kind of think he might be because of it. I, I don't, I don't think public perception itself will say that it would be, he would, he'll, they'll say he was washed after this fight. 
not before this fight, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think I think it may come with the next World War fight. I don't see Kamaru Usman mm-hmm. staying around at middleweight. Um, mm. So, I mean, if they do do, like, the Bilal fight and Bilal was to beat him, which, personally, spoiler alert, I think if they do fight right now, I think I'm picking Bilal to win that one. Same here. Uh, yeah. There are a lot of people, though. Like, Hamzat is, as you can tell based on what we're saying, a, a quite a divisive fighter. There are a lot of people that want to see him lose. And the one guy that came closest to getting that all next to his name was Gilbert Burns. What did Gilbert do that nobody else has been able to? How did he have so much success? And is there anything that Usman can learn from that fight that he can take into this one? Because, as we know, Kamaru Usman and Gilbert Burns... Best friends. Best friends and training partners. Mm-hmm. I think, um, so I rewatched that fight, which oh, it was such a pleasure watching that fight again. I only watched the second round. That's the best one. Oh, <laughs> it, it would have been our favorite round ever if he soccer kicked him. Could you imagine if that landed? It would have ended both of their careers. Because I don't think Hamza would have been the fighter anymore. It would have ended his career, basically. He uh, he would not have been the same. And and when they find his and head, it's Gilbert like Gilbert Burns would be main eventing PFL. And when they find Hamzat's head, it's like a malfunctioning oh, robot. It's like a malfunctioning robot going a smash, a smash, a smash, a smash. Yeah, it would be. It would have been like a Star Wars prequel, you know, like getting C three PO's head back on. <laughs> um. <laughs> I'm just picturing, I like, mean, this Hamzat-C3PO hybrid now. I have that in my head. Is what's making me laugh. <laughs> what, with, like, the massive beard? Yeah. Like, it, it's, like, just painted on is, like, how I have it in my head. Um, I have a friend who's an artist. If I can get that drawn on, Dana White as, like, Dr. Frankenstein, like, ask math scientist, pulling the lever and, like, starting Smashbot 5000. Um, Smash bought 5,000. Um, but Gilbert Burns didn't back down from the pressure. He did get backed up eventually because it's a lot of pressure to deal with. But he had a grappling base that made Hamzat scared to engage on the ground with him for extended periods of time. And Gilbert Burns stood his ground and threw hard bombs back. He cracked him. Hamzat had a pretty good chance because they both battered each other for three rounds and both those dudes just went all right i guess uh, i guess we're gonna limp away <laughs> like it was it was kind of it that fight is insane was it, it was last year right uh yes yeah yeah that fight is unbelievable it's like the second best fight of last year i think that fight is incredible but what a ridiculous fight that was i think though hmm See, I'm concerned about that because you mentioned before the, the big difference between Gilbert and Kamara Usman is Gilbert has that grappling base, that sort of ground game yeah. to spook people. I don't think Usman has that. Can you see Usman like throwing triangles off his back? I can't say that. I think no. he might have a better chance to keep it standing and maybe yeah. execute some takedowns of his own because that was the big weakness Gilbert had. Gilbert just doesn't have the double leg. Uh, take mm-hmm. him down. And he tried. He tried a lot of times. Um, I think... I, I could see Usman stuffing some takedowns and for and keeping the fight standing. And Usman does hit hard. I don't think his striking is necessarily great. 
Um, but they're but still trying to find Mudsville's head over in Jacksonville. True. <laughs> That's very fair. They haven't found his head in a while. Um, that is a crazy KO. But um, I don't think I don't think Usman's striking is all that great. He just hits like a truck. One of the hardest hitters. Um, he just has trouble landing that shot, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like with Gilbert Burns, Gilbert Burns gassed out and punched himself out in that fight. And I think it made it easy for Usman to put the power on him. Um, so I think I think that this is going to be an interesting fight, and I that I really wish had a full camp because without a full camp, I think we're seeing another smash. I'm a I feel that as well. I, I do feel that, and I think it'll be a real disrespect to how good of a fighter Kamara Usman is. Um, in my personal opinion, I, and again, I'm very much in the minority. I feel like I'm saying that a lot during this show. Um, mm. like Daniel Cormier made a big deal about a wow signing to replace Costa, which ended up being Usman. Now, in terms of name value, Usman has that. But in my personal opinion, the guy they should have gone for, Bo Nickel. Bo Nickel. Yeah. Bo Nickel's the man. Yeah. I would have loved to have seen that. I would have as well because they both talk a massive fight. Um, and then obviously the big sort of X factor with Hamzad is always, oh, this guy just takes people down immediately. You're not taking down Bo Nickel. No. And here's the crazy thing. People always forget this. How good of a just forget forget getting the guy to the ground. How good of a grappler is Bo Nickel? He took Gordon Ryan to his limit before finally getting tapped. Like they went at it. I think it's like just 20 minutes straight of them basically just rolling all over each other and going back and forth. And Bo Nickel gave everything he had and Gordon Ryan did everything just to finally be able to like get a submission off. It was fantastic. And Bo Nickel carries a ton of power. I, yes. I, I want that fight to happen because I want to go, who is the real unicorn? <laughs> Yes. It can only be one of you. And sometimes... It, it's probably Shavkat, but it's got to be one of you two at middleweight, right? And I know from the UFC's perspective, they want to try and have the sort of big stars like facing each other at the top. I get that. But mm -hmm. sometimes that sort of who is the unicorn fights, you can do those early in the run. Like John Jones and Ryan Bader, they fought very early in their career, I and mean, that got a lot of hype and a lot of fanfare because of that yeah. unicorn sort of question. Mm -hmm. I, I think I'm okay with them fighting early because then what if you build a rivalry that lasts forever? You know, you have an organic quadrilogy on your hands. What if they're both unicorns? Oh, you have you Holloway know? versus Volkanovsky. Which, which is going to be a quadrilogy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but that's that's for the next fight, I suppose. We'll talk about that. And it's a good thing we are... See, we work out these things, you know. It's almost as if we've done this before, isn't it, Joe? It's it's just odd, isn't it? You know? All I'm going to say is that you and me are just too good at our jobs. We're clearly number two next to Morning Combat. And I think, you know, and uh, you know what? I'm going to I'm gonna come out here and say it. Uh, <laughs> uh, Brian Campbell, you taking everything I work for. I will say, on the subject of like Luke Thomas and Brian Campbell, I've started to uh, get the sort of salt and pepper in me beard as well. 
I, I'm actually kind of excited to get some salt in my pepper, admittingly. Uh, I, think I just I'm need the Latina wife. Yeah, I oh yeah, there you go. You know, I've been I've been watching a lot of uh, Blood In and Blood Out, which is like a rite of passage movie uh, where I'm from. Um, if you're a Chicano or like someone of Mexican descent, you have to watch Blood In and Blood Out. And uh, there's <laughs> one of the main characters in it is a half Mexican kid like me uh, who he played Ken in the really bad Jean-Claude Van Damme Street Fighter movie. <laughs> Blue eyes, blonde hair, and just like talks like this all the time. Don't be, and it's it's um that's 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 my vibe I'm going for currently. And now have, I don't um, look Mexican, but I'm very Mexican. Yeah, in North um, in North England, our right passage film is Kez. Never heard of that. If you get the chance, look it up, Kez. I think what 1968, like proper, like you can't get more Yorkshire. Than Kez. Uh, how is it spelled? K E S. Oh, it's about a boy in his kestrel. <laughs> Only uh, in Northern England. Huh. All right. <laughs> yeah, my the rite of passage movie. If you're Mexican, is um. It's blood in and blood out, and if you're, for me because I'm half and half, the other one was Stand by Me. That's a good film. Uh, That's a really good oh. film. A wonderful film. Yep. Yeah. We we should start like a film spin-off show. Oh, I'd be down. Yeah. I'm a I'm a I'm like a I'm I'm a less feet creepy guy Quentin Tarantino when it comes to movies. Yeah. I and T. It's not Technicolor. <laughs> There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so, all of our hot dogging and grandstanding out the way, let us get to our main event of the evening. Another short notice fight, but I think it's safe to say this one we are much more infused about. Islam Markachev will be taking on Alexander Volkanovsky for the lightweight title. Betting odds for this one, Markachev is minus 240. Volkanovsky comes in at plus 195. Although, it should be stressed he was a 3-1 to one underdog going into the first fight. Now let us set the scene. Originally, the plan was to do Charles Oliveira versus Islam Makachev, another rematch, ironically enough from the previous Abu Dhabi card. However, Charles Oliveira received a cut over his eye, can't compete, and Alexander Volkanovsky steps in on 11 days notice. So it's a rematch from the fight that took place in Australia at UFC 284, Makachev winning that one by a very close unanimous decision. So. We'll start by talking about Charles Oliveira pulling out of the fight. Weighing the two matches up, Oliveira versus Markachev and the Volkanovski rematch, is this a better fight, a more interesting fight for you than Oliveira? I hate saying it, but yeah, I really hate saying it. Because I think that first fight is gold. Like... Um, and I, I, I actually thought Volkanovski won. I mean, obviously, the contentious round is round four, um, which I'll just get this out of the way because I, I talked about it yesterday, and I can kind of concisely say it instead of taking 30 minutes of our time. <laughs> um, round four is, you know, Makachev has the back holding on for dear life, terrified and freaking out as Volk is throwing shots back. Um, I score that round for Volk. I score the, the similar rounds for Moreno, and uh, I scored it for, there was another one. 
Um, Rooten versus Randleman? Rooten Randleman. Yeah, I, I scored it for Rooten. But then this is where I'm a hypocrite and I'm willing, I'm asking to be called out here because um, we have a, a very avid Volkanovsky fan base in our, or not Volkanovsky fan base, Valentina fan base in our, uh, out of our fans. And I'm willing to be called out here. I squirted for Talia Santos that, you know, so that I call me a hypocrite. I, I definitely deserve it there. Uh, you know, uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm open to critique. I think I'm only slightly perfect. I'm not fully perfect. <laughs> You know, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I think, man, this fight is so sick. I'm so pumped for this fight. This is like a, a two fight card for me, admittingly, and it's going to get my money out of me. So I assume it's this and Victoria Dudikova versus Jinyu Fry. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, absolutely. I like Jinyu Fry. Yeah. I don't know why. Um, um, she sort of she sort of looks like a mini Misha Tate. Mm. That probably plays a part. I do like Misha Tate. Yeah. Um, so Volkanovski is stepping in on short notice for this fight, and as mentioned before, I'm in a similar similar boat to you. I think in terms of short notice replacements, UFC have pulled off a belter. Although there are some issues regarding the short notice, which we'll I'll bring up later on in the show. But there are a lot of people who feel that this title shot should have gone to Matouch Gamrot. And the reason mm-hmm. I say that is a few days before the fight, it was announced that Gamrot would be the backup should anything happen to Charles and Markachev. Now, in terms of star power and in terms of competitiveness, the UFC have made the right call in going for Volkanovski over Gamrot. But there are some people who feel, rightly or wrong, that you made a big song and dance about Gamrot being the replacement, you now need a replacement, and instead of said, stuff that, we're going elsewhere. Do you feel a little bit of sympathy for Gamrot in this situation? Oh yeah, I feel terrible for him. Because if you're going to go out of your way to make the weight, cut the weight and all this, and you're set to be the replacement, are you a replacement in name only? Is that it? It's so... They shafted him. There's no other words for it to me. And especially as well, when you look at Colby, for example. Like, Mm -hmm. one of Dana White's justifications for giving Colby the title fight against Leon Edwards is because he waited in his buckle for the Usman fight. So you can't use that as a guarantee for Colby and at the same time not use it for Gamrot. It's definitely... It feels like... It's just such blatant Dana White privilege. And I love Volkanovski. I normally don't care for these Dana pet projects, but I love Volkanovski. Yeah. I'm, I'm sort of worried as a Raquel Pennington fan because that was one of the things I sort of held on to, that she weighed in as the backup for the 289 fight, and that was like a guarantee mm-hmm. for her to get the title shot. And now I'm a bit like, oh, God, they're going to do Pena Maiva. They're going to do... Uh, yeah. They're probably going to do Pena... Don't Pennington say Holly Holm. Still. Uh, oh, God, I don't want to. I don't want to say that name. You know what? I actually made a joke, you know, that because technically the UFC haven't killed off the women's featherweight division yet. And I jokingly said it's because they still need a reason to give Holly Holm a title fight. Holly Holm, Norma Dumont, featherweight title. I'm okay with Norma Dumont getting it. Oh, yeah, well, Norma's like the only featherweight on the roster. She can't make 135. 
she can't make 135. She's too uh, too marketable. Yes, a good way to put it. Yeah. Good PG way to put it there, Joel. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, why is the Billy Gunn song in my head? <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the two fighters involved in this fight. Islam Markachev, 24-1 record. Um, I think most people know what the one is, of course. It was a loss to Adriana Martins at UFC 192. Finished very early on in that fight. But it was a a wake-up call, I feel, for Markachev and the way that he now mm. fights. Because even though the guy is known primarily for his wrestling, he is part of the Smash Factory. Um, he's sort of like Khabib's sort of... Um, how should I put this? Pupil. I think that's the word to yeah. use. Khabib's pupil. And obviously he's taken on board the quality of that wrestling. But the other big mm. thing that stands out for Markachev is very defensively sound. He does not get hit at all. It's really hard to crack him. Like, um, whereas, like, Habib... Habib was a little hard to crack, and then when you did crack him, it didn't seem to do much. When you you can crack Makachev, and it's going to hurt him like a normal person, but he is... He kind of has that same defensive, like, kind of... It, it was really hard for Volkanovsky, who's really good at hitting people many times. Um... And it was really hard for him to hurt uh, and land on Makachev often in their first fight. I, I'm seeing as well a lot more respect on, on social media. I'm seeing a lot more respect for Makachev. Maybe not sort of like love in the same way that they would for yeah. someone like a, like Tony Ferguson or a Justin Gagey, for example. But there's a lot more respect. And I think one of the big factors which has helped is Khabib is a lot less hands-on with Makachev mm -hmm. than he used to be. Because I always used to make the joke that there was no such thing as a Markachev fan. It was just Khabib. <laughs> it was just Khabib fans that couldn't let go. But I think since he got the belt, Khabib isn't as prominent when it comes to press conferences, social media, that sort of thing. And without Khabib around and taking all the questions, they're turning to Markachev. And mm. I think Markachev showed more personality in the Embedded series than he had done in the entirety of his UFC run. Seems like a good guy, honestly. Him and Habib seem like good guys to me. Um, I'm sure they're kind of douchey, but it seems like a kind of a, a cultural macho thing. You know what I mean to me? So, you know what I mean? I'm sure I seem douchey to them kind of vibe. But they seem like good guys, you know, um, to me. Uh, I think it's good for Islam to kind of get that because... For me, I, I, I don't think it's good to ever root for a fighter based on their flag or last name. Yeah. You know, I want them rooted for on their own merits. I'm not going to root for John Jones because, oh, America. Like, no, I'm <laughs> I'm going to root against John Jones because of, like, the laundry list of horrible things he's done. I'm not rooting for Jose Aldo because I want Brazilians to dominate the sport or something. Um, I don't I don't. You know, I used to I joke about rooting for like the Alexa Grossos and Brandon Moreno's because of their flag, but no, I genuinely do really like them, you know, and it's yeah, I mean, it's mostly like a joke I play up to when I bring up their their flag and how I'm legally obligated to root for them, but um, that doesn't mean anything. Like you you don't root for every British fighter and everything like that. Uh, it's just kind of how it is, and so. It's good to see him show off his personality 
and help get organic fans that way. Because I, I feel like that's a good way to put it. There's synthetic fans and there's organic fans, and he's he's getting organic fans, which I think is fantastic for him. Yeah. So obviously this is a rematch from UFC 284, which obviously took place in February. Um, what were your big takeaways from that first fight? Because I mean, there was a lot of people, quite rightly so, you could sort of understand where they were coming from, who sort of built mm -hmm. this as striker versus grappler. And for me, the big thing that stood out was that Volkanovski's grappling was a lot better than we expected it to be. But the big mm -hmm. one was the Markachev striking was a lot better than people expected. Yeah. He, Volkanovski was very hard to take down. The low center of gravity, the, the strength, and the footwork really helped out. But Makachev really held his own into the, in the striking for like a majority of that fight. And if not outright won some of the striking exchanges they had, which really kind of changed the, the nature of the fight. And it was, it was really interesting to see that fight play out. You know, it was two guys who I think are probably the two, number one and two, maybe one and three for me, maybe one and four. It just kind of depends on how I'm feeling. I'd go one and two. Oh, I, I, I think the people think who put John Jones pounds? at number one off the back of one win in three years against a guy who was a stylistic dream for him. Like, John Jones shouldn't be number one. That's, that's USCP on hmm. that. I, I mean, I had a, a what's it called? Um, I had Robert Whittaker at number two, but, you know. Yeah, that, that ended badly. No kidding. Oh, oh, I don't want to talk about it. Why did they bring his name up? I have to talk about it now. But anyways... Um, <laughs> No, um, it's, it's for me, I think it's one and two. Uh, I had Aljo at two, but, you know, he fought Sean O'Malley like an idiot. So, you know, it's not. It's Islam now at two, I think. And uh, so now we have to, like, but, I mean, regardless, still top three pound-for-pound pound guys going up against each other. And, okay, like, and they both showed up. It was incredible to see. I don't think we've seen that in history very much where the number one and number two pound-for-pound pound guys go at it. Like, I think I've only seen that happen, like, once in my lifetime prior to this. And that was probably... Because I, I still thought Frank... I thought Frankie Edgar didn't lose the ben, Benson Henderson fights. So, and that is my favorite fight ever, which is Aldo Edgar won. Henry um, Vandele? But it, it, in terms oh, man, of pride, possibly yeah. found the pride. In Pride for sure, but Vanderlei also had just lost a Crow Cop. So it was a little, it, it kind of hurt it a little bit to me at the time. Oh, check um, out the Pride 33 retro review because uh, Joe covers that fight. It's one, it's, it's my favorite. It's my favorite as well. Yeah, it's my favorite. Um, I have an, I have a, I forgot the alliteration. I did a, I, I pulled out my Tito or Tito Wordsmith to talk about. Uh, the uh, the succulent tastes and diet of pre-horse meat <laughs> Alistair Overeem. Um, but yeah, this fight is very interesting. And I th I, I, I ha I'm not going to make that mistake again. I brought up how Volkanovski was going to be a harder fight for Makachev, but didn't pick him. I'm not making that mistake again, even though it's on short notice. I, I just can't. I I've learned to not root against the guy or not pick against the guy. I think I, I think Volkanovski wins this. Um, I'm personally picking Markachev to win this one. I think that mm -hmm. even though Volkanovski had a lot of success in that first fight, and in my opinion, he, he well 
you give that fight another two or three minutes, I think there's a good chance it's he over. could finish Makachev because Makachev looked oh, yeah. gassed. Like the the standout memory that a lot of people have from that fight is that shot of Makachev clinging onto Volk on the ground, just sort of looking up at the camera, wondering what the hell's going on here. Like that's the mm-hmm. that's the image people think of. Mm-hmm. Um, but lost that battle, but won that war. Volk we even called we even that called the um, post fight recap that it was like Volk loses but wins because he mm-hmm. had the moral victory. Yeah, it's insane. But that was an Alexander Volkanovsky who had this fight planned for months, had a full on mm-hmm. bulk to lightweight to prepare exclusively for this fight. This time around, it's a guy on eleven days' notice who's fighting as a 145er, who's been spending like the past few days drinking. He even admitted that. I was drinking with my friends when I got the call for this fight. And I think Volk could make elements of the fight competitive, but I I think the size difference is going to be too much this time. So I'm going to pick Makachev to win this one, and I think it's going to be like Mm -hmm. 49-46. I think I think it'll be forty eight, forty seven, probably with the third fight, Volkanovski, or Volkanovski could finish him. I think. One thing I think could a changing game plan. I think Volkanovski could use is he saw from the first fight how tired he made Markachev by creating the scrambles and creating the exchanges, that sort of thing, and it led to mm-hmm. knockdown at the end of the fight. I think mm-hmm. Volk could maybe put the pressure on a lot quicker to try and tire him out a little earlier. Mm-hmm. But by doing that, you're running the risk of getting too aggressive and getting countered, like we saw in the second round. He did get cl- he did he did get clobbered. I got really scared he was going to get finished. I would have probably cried. Um, <laughs> uh, I, 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 that said, though, I think... I, I, I just have a hard time going against the man himself, you know? Uh, it's it's Volkanovski. He's just there's something about him that if he wins this, I I think he kind of goes into that Cejudo rankings, right? Because I I look at the greatest of all time talks as like a pyramid in a sense. Like at the top is GSP, right? Like no question. And I think right below them are Aldo and uh, Mighty Mouse is who I have. Yeah, Mighty Mouse probably second. Um, but then I have Aldo, who, I mean, that run at bantamweight really solidified how he is probably a goat contender. Probably should have got a title shot. Like I think yeah. it's it's fascinating to me with Jose Aldo. Sorry to go off on another tangent. Really? Um, well, that's what we do here. Yeah, it's fascinating to me that I don't think people respected and appreciated Jose Aldo in his prime when he was turning back so many featherweight contenders. The time that people started appreciating him was when he was past his prime in, at bantamweight. And people realized, mm-hmm. you know, when he's 30-27, when he's scoring like a 30-27 on Pedro Munoz, just piecing him apart, you realize, mm-hmm. yeah, this guy this guy was really good. Upset Cheeto Vera. You know? He did. Like, Cheeto had and, so much momentum. And, and Aldo just ran through And Rob Font. And Rob Font. I've got like, to do a video on Aldo's bantamweight run. Yeah, that that solidifies it. I forgot. It's 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 probably the best. Like it, it's very reminiscent of like the old man going. I still got some in the tank and just showing up 
everybody. And there's like a lot of technical aspects to that run that are so cool to me. Like he like around that time, the it was the era of the calf kick, like really starting to come into the fold. And Bantamweight was like one of the first divisions to really do that. And he just said, no, I don't like calf kicks. I'm not going to care about it. And he just developed a strategy for punishing anyone who dared to even consider a calf kick at him. And that's Pedro Munoz in a nutshell. He'll go for the calf kick, just get lit up for it. And um, God, all so if for me, if the the like the, the rung I have below that, I have like, you know, in my brain I go, I put guys like BJ Penn, who I doesn't, who I still don't think gets enough love. Um, Boss Rutten, I have in there. Uh, and I have Henry Cejudo. I would put Volkanovski. If he pulls this off, Volkanovski instantly shoots into that rung for me. Like, we have, we would have to start talking about it. And one final factor that we need to take on board with this fight taking place. Before the fight was booked, all the rumors about that Canada card in January was that it was going to be Volkanovski versus Ilya Tupuria. What happens with that fight? Mm-hmm. Because Volk's saying he's still interested in taking on that fight. But you imagine if he gets the lightweight belt or he takes too much damage, there's a lot of question marks regarding that fight. So are we looking at Max versus Tupuria for an interim title? I think so. I, I think because in, in the future that I see, I foresee, is, I, like I said, I'm picking Volkanovski to win. Is Volkanovski wins. And then here comes... Someone on the phone. Email. It was an email. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, the classic. The joys of uh, live broadcasting. Oh, yeah. Well, do it live, you know. Damn it. Uh, we'll do it live. Uh, <laughs> where's the Sid Vicious at? Hey, guys, can I go again? We're live, pal. Um, but, uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I think... I think they probably he gets the lightweight belt. He probably has to defend that, and they do Taporia Holloway, then. And maybe Volkanovski just says, "Well, I don't." It's really hard defending two belts, so he probably has to just let the featherweight one go if he wins. Now that I really think about it, yeah. Um, which I'm, and I mean no disrespect to Max Holloway. Max Holloway is one of the greatest fighters of all time. I love watching the guy fight, mm-hmm. but. I really hope if that fight does happen that Max doesn't win because Volk needs yeah. fresh contenders. And after what Volk did to Max Holloway in the third fight, are people really interested in seeing that possibly me run back? I'm really not, honestly. I personally am not. I don't know. I mean, Max is insane. He's incredible. But I kind of want him to be the one to move up to 55. Yes, yeah. Yeah, I, I admittingly would rather have him at 55 over Volkanovski. Um, because I don't, like, I feel like people really, like, don't think too low of that run he had at 55, where he fought Dustin Poirier once in a really close fight. Like, I mean, I don't, I, I think he would do gangbusters up here. And I think in terms of his physique... I think he could handle mm-hmm. the 155 move a lot better than Volk because Volk is mm-hmm. tiny for 155. Yeah, he's just really strong and stout, you know? Yeah. 
So plenty um, of questions for us to potentially be thinking about, or uh, not only for UFC 294, but also for upcoming events. And INC Live will be happy to cover every element of that with all of our content, which will be coming out, uh, not only with the preview shows, but we'll also have post-five recaps. So hopefully, Joe, there will be one already online. You talking about uh, Sadiq Yusuf versus Edson Barboza, that fight card that happened yesterday. Yeah, uh, I, uh, I get to talk about Adrian Yanez losing again, which is rough. But um, uh, it was this was way more fun yesterday when we could do the... Uh, and Sadiq Youssef won. Yeah, yeah. And then if <laughs> Barbosa wins, you know, having that in one take was really funny. But um, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to work on that as soon as we get done here. Yeah. Uh, another thing you've been working on as well is our most recent retro review. So, Joe, we always like to try and make a big deal about this, try and make a little bit of a song and dance. I can see the hand rubbing there. Um, so, why are we covering this card? And what are we covering? So I, Carl was in uh, in Carl's weekly interrogations of me. He got out something that I uh, I, I just felt the need to come clean about. Um, I, I have not always been an MMA fan. I know. I'm sorry. I apologize. But I took a year break once, um, and the first fight I saw back was uh, my dad was watching a card on cbs and i was like what are you watching he's like he goes oh there's some fights on and i'm like oh okay i'll check it out on cbs like what uh and then i saw this chick and i was like well i'm gonna watch her fight uh partly true partly joking but um yeah it was uh so there we go and it was um what's it called uh my brain i laughing i was laughing about gina carano being it, uh, such a smoke show back then. I, my brain farted for a moment. But uh, it was Elite. I get to watch Elite XC Heat. And I get to watch Kimbo Slice, Ken Shamrock. Don't don't look into it. Don't Google what happens. Um, but, you know, it's actually a really fun card. I was actually really liking it, rewatching it. It's also, as well, the 15th anniversary of Elite XC's closure, uh, which is one of the mm-hmm. reasons why we're doing that. Um, we actually put up a poll for classic Elite XC events and asked uh, the public which one they wanted us to watch, and Heat won in an absolute landslide. <laughs> like, it wasn't even close. It was always going to win. Yeah, it was always going to win. We, we knew that when we made it. We were like, all right, well, we know what's winning. Yeah. We could have put up, like, fake options for three, uh, two, three, and four, and seen Elite XC win still. Heat would have won still. Yeah. I mean, it's always fun to do the polls, but a lot of the time you can yeah. get a good grasp over what's going to win. Yeah, we yeah. usually kind of predict it beforehand. A couple of times we've been wrong, though, which is always really cool. It's, it's very interesting. It also gives us a gauge of what our audience are interested in and sort of like mm-hmm. we can cater our content based off getting a good understanding of sort of like demographics. So we can, so like, for example, if choosing older cards, we know it's an older audience who watch and that sort of thing. Um, one thing I will say... It's usually I, Connor cards. There's a lot of Connor cards. Mm-hmm. Like, I wonder, you know, if we put, like, like a, let's say, like, one of Connor's Cage Warriors cards and put that up against, like, big UFC events, would the Cage Warriors card win? We, I, I, I kind of want to find out now, but I don't want to watch Cage Warriors sometimes, invadingly. Cage Warriors is really good, but I think I'd rather watch, like, a really cool card <laughs> that um, I have memories of. So I have got my minions trying to splice together the Elite XC card. Hopefully that'll be up at some point this month. We'll also... 
hopefully try and get the one we promised last month, UFC 126. We're hoping that that will be out at some point. The other big news in regards to the retro reviews, though, we have both made this decision, is that as much as we love having them on the main channel, uh, from this point on, we will be moving the retro reviews onto INC Live. So that's mainly for algorithm reasons, so it helps the main channel. But also as well, we want to try and make INC Live a more essential part of our sort of family. And we think that maybe mm -hmm. putting the retro reviews on there might fit a little bit better. Like the audience are familiar with Joe, so um, like that might probably help in that regard as well. So it, for algorithm reasons, try and get a few new subscribers and try and sort of hit the threshold so we can monetize INC Live. Uh, we're going to move them onto the main channel. Uh, from the mm -hmm. main channel to INC Live. It's part of my Nick Khan-esque invasion of this channel. Yeah. Did I say that out loud? Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that guy, uh -oh. for a brief while, he pretty much ran WWE. Yeah. Yeah. And now, uh, is Triple H running it now? Basically. He still like, his control back? Like, Avi Emanuel like, basically oversees everything under like the Endeavor mm -hmm. TKO stuff. The story mm. goes that Vince did the Endeavor deal with the aim of getting himself back in charge. But the company loved the job that Triple H did so much that Vince is basically out now. <laughs> oh, man. That's priceless. I just picture Vince in his chair watching Triple H's WWE and just being like, God, I should be dancing, goddammit. Put him in later, horse. I, I like to... Uh, what like uh, I like to, I like the idea of that's what he was probably saying watching Gunther, but I like to imagine that it, Vince like watched like a fight night and was like, I don't understand what's going on here. Where isn't Mike? Tell Michael Cole to like no Michael Cole isn't here. Vince like tell 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 Jr is like they're wheeling him out. So so that is everything that you can look forward to here on INC Live and on It's Not Cage Fighting itself. If you would like to get involved with the show on social media, we have an Instagram page. Um, we've also got Twitter at, I, at INCageFighting. Our Patreon page, It's Not Cage Fighting, if you'd like to donate to the channel. In return, Joe will do a retro review. We've actually got two Patreon requests to, to work through. So you're going to be a really busy boy, including the post-fight recap, which I assume you're going to be recording straight after this, Joe. Yeah, I am. I'm going I'm to get some food in me and I'm going to record it. Yeah. Game plan. So thank you very much for joining us here on INC Live. I've been Carl Bainbridge. That's been Joe Neal. We are going to be back in three weeks' time as we talk about the UFC's return to Madison Square Garden and possibly the final farewell of John Jones. This is the INC. Thank you for watching.